Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyway, Mike, all I'm saying is that there's no way Banjo hasn't been arrested at least twice for DUIs. I mean, the main mission in Banjo 3 is uh, drinking and driving, I'm pretty sure. But oh, yep. oh, we're live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Banjo has to be old enough to drink by now. And he had his nuts and bolts game on the Xbox 360. So there's got, there's got he has to have mixed alcohol with driving at some point. He doesn't seem responsible enough to not have. But anyway, I was thinking about this the other day, Mike. I'm, a, I'm pretty big into running. I love fitness. You know, I love going into sport check and seeing all the shoes and all the shoes that don't fit me because I have freakishly big feet. And it got me thinking about running shoes. And I'm a big new New Balance fan because they make running shoes for people with big, wide, you know, duck feet like I have. <laughs> and it got me thinking about the design of running shoes. And I don't know how you, where you fall on this, but for me, the design of running shoes sucks in that the colors are just terrible. Like you've got this great shoe, you know, it, it folds well, it, it's light, it's great, you know, fits well. And then it's just this garish, ugly ass shade of green. <laughs> what What is that? Yeah, it depends. See, I think... My thing for it is that you're often paying for the colors, the good colors. I find like the three hundred dollar mm. ASIC shoes, yeah, uh, are are the ones that are like really, really, really nice and uh, great colors. Uh, have some cool colors there, good gradients on them. And then you're going down to your hundred dollar Brook shoe, and you're you're getting just white. A, uh, yeah, <laughs> just a white with like this this really harsh blue that you're like, oh mm. my god, why? Yeah. I know, like, I, I, that's why I love my New Balance, because I buy the same pair every time. It's just black and white. It looks fine. It looks like everyone else's. It's great. But, like, I don't want to look like a Splatoon cosplayer. Like, I just want to, I just want a pair of black, at most, like, a bit of white in there. Maybe some, maybe some blue highlights. Like, when I was a kid, I used to love colored shoes. Like, I loved, like, getting Pokemon. My, my, my shoes had Pokemon on them for a few years there when I was a kid. But mm-hmm. now, I don't, I, I, I just want, like, I'm willing to spend two, three hundred dollars on a, that's what I spend. I spend about two hundred dollars per pair. But I definitely would, I'd pay more if like there was just no color. Like I want sepia shoes. <laughs> sepia shoes, that one, I like that. Yeah. yeah, give me like a full black and white kit, you know, yep. for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, sh- yeah, shoes, uh, for you, you definitely have, uh, uh, you need to get a little more specific with your shoes because mm-hmm. uh, of, of your I'm a duck freak. feet. I'm a freak, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, like I, uh, I, I definitely buy shoes by color. That's definitely, I think, how I, uh, I like to to roll for that. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty simple man. I like my, my, uh, pretty like white or, or just, just normal colored, uh, uh, shoes with a little bit of, a little bit of an accent to them, maybe blues and reds and stuff. Mm. But you're absolutely right. When it comes to actual running shoes, there are some garish, garish colors out there that, uh, people just, um, like shoe companies haven't really figured out. So if you're listening to this, uh, uh, New Balance and want to sponsor us, we would love that. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oreo and New Balance are like my top two. No lie. Oreo New Balance, a collaboration <laughs> may be coming. That black and white shoe, Neil, we're looking for it. That the sepia tone <laughs> Oreo. They're made for uh, each other. Oh my God. <laughs> they're made for each other. <laughs> I'd love to see that New Balance Oreo coming yeah. soon. Oh man. Oh, the New Balance Oreo limit. What would that taste like? Oreo and New Balance. Now, would it, would it be an Oreo flavor? Would the shoe be made of Oreo or would the <laughs> cookie taste like shoe? Surely the cookie would taste like shoe. Okay, if that's the I best. Feel like, I feel like an Oreo shoe wouldn't last very long. You, you step in water, you mm. step in milk, you're done. Step in but. milk, yeah. You do that a lot in Ontario because everyone is a dairy farmer here, apparently. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> Big dairy rules. But, uh, but Neil, uh, I, I was at... I was at 
a store the other day returning something. I was in line to return an item, uh, and I saw, as you do every single time, I saw a big line in front of me mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of people at these kiosks, and, and there's like three different people at the return at the customer service uh, section there uh, uh, handling returns. And every time it seems like there's always a big line with people and a, and a bunch of people trying to return something that they either don't have the receipt for or who knows, like, what is the problem here? Uh, and I'm always waiting forever. And so, you know, I see these people. It's the same two people who are at these two other kiosks the entire time I'm going through the line. Mm-hmm. By the time I'm done, they're also still there. And I'm done within seconds. You know, I have my item. I'm saying, I don't need this anymore. They're like, okay, do you have the receipt? Yes, here it is. Card? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, tap. I'm out of there in 30 seconds. It's a pretty easy process. I just want my receipt to say that I actually got the item returned. Right. So that begs the question, why are people so bad at returning things? Yeah, it's like they get to the front of that lineup and all of a sudden they forgot. Like they, they've never returned something before. Like it's yeah. a mystery that they, what do you mean I needed my receipt? I bought it. <laughs> I bought it here. It was two weeks ago. I bought it from that person. I have a couple follow-up questions for you though. Now, when you yep. bought something from this store, if I walk into a store and I see a return section that has three people designated to it at all times, I know that that store sells <laughs> crap product and I'm just not going to go back because like you clearly have no, you, you do not believe in your product if you have that much of a staff, unless it's like a Walmart or like a Costco, one of those big box stores, I get it. But if it's like a clothing store or electronic store and you have like a designated team of people to return things, then yeah, absolutely. But no, I agree with what you're saying. I with returns, like I it goes back to my thing that I said a few weeks ago about the dollar store. Like you you know the routine at this point. You're an adult. Yeah. You should know you need you need your boxed item. You need to be ready with your credit card or your method of payment. That's the other thing too, is like they're like, no, I just want I just want cash. It's like, no, no, we need to we need to put <laughs> That's it back. Not how this works. No, like you can't pick your like at best you get a gift card or it goes back onto whatever you paid with um it's gonna say something else there that I oh the with the returns too i love it when they ask you reason for returning why do you care it's like in seinfeld when, yeah. uh, when jerry's like for spite yeah they usually give you seven options and it's like okay so i could pick any of these and it might not be relevant so why do you care and i could I just mean, say the- other as marketing purposes, right? Yeah. They want to know it's like why uh, why are people returning this item if it's re- getting returned on mass? Uh, but yeah, like so, like one of the people in line, I saw them with uh, they were t- returning uh, some kind of headphones or like uh, it might have been uh, for not headphones but ear uh, earbuds. Like, not not earbuds, but like what you would wear on a construction site. Like, I, I, what, what would you call that? Like, so like to protect it, your ears. The earmuff, noise canceling earmuffs. I yeah, basically, right? Yeah. yeah, like those big things. So big, big ear, ear construction earmuffs mm-hmm. uh, is basically what they were returning them. Just holding them, no box, <laughs> just just holding them, uh, and, and clearly just were like, I'm going this line to see if I can get something for them. <laughs> I like to think because were... usually you can. Like yeah. like if you're if you're gonna be that asshole. And and hold up the line and just fight for your uh, having a discount or having basically getting credit at the store mm-hmm. for this. The person, the 18 year old who's ha- handling the uh, the returns <laughs> line is just like, you know what, man, just like here, here's your here's your uh, your gift card. Like, here's your your store credit. I, I if I ran a store, I'd be like, all right, you don't need a receipt, but you need to prove to me that it didn't work. Like if that if that construction worker was standing there just with the headphones, like no receipt, but he's bleeding in the ears. 
I'd be like, yeah, all right, you've probably earned the return. Uh, and then I'd give it to him. Home Depot, which is a company, I think that they're in America too. I think they're an American company. For some reason, I associate Home Depot with Canadian, but that's more Canadian tire. It's American. It's oh, an yeah. American company. Yeah. So they, my brother-in-law worked at uh, Canadian or worked at Home Depot and he would sometimes get put on returns. And it was the worst because they don't, they, they say proudly, you do not need a receipt to return stuff. So people oh. would just straight up steal from the store and then bring it back <laughs> and return it. And he would like call them out on it. And then he would get in trouble for like calling people out because they're not supposed to do that and like people would straight up just steal from the store and then sell them in the parking lot that would happen too um things would be like exactly like (laughs) honestly good on them like they would bring back like they would bring back like toilets that had clearly been used for like five years and because they have no receipt like policy he's like this this is clearly a used crapper. I'm not taking this, but he'd have to. His manager bringing that into the store. <laughs> well, you clean them well enough with a hose, but no, he was like he, every time he'd come over for dinner, he'd have the best return stories because it was just ple- people that clearly like installed stuff wrong, clearly stole it. Like it still had like those do not steal bands wrapped around them and stuff like that. Like it was ridiculous, but because their policy was so loose, he had to return it, and he hated it. It's too bad. He's, a, he's an electrician now, so I guess it all worked out. But still, I love those return stories from him. Uh, Neil, we have a very special segment com- coming up right now. It's it's our first time ever, I believe, that we're going to have a guest on on the show to not talk about the game, not talk about Banjo-Kazooie today. No, no, no. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, this band that we've been kind of circling around for a little bit. We talked about Limp Bizkit last week a lot with the NHL Hits episode. We're going to keep it in the 2000s, and we're going to just talk a little bit about Creed, Neil? Is that... What we're we're doing today? Yeah, that's right, Mike. My other opening topic for today is a Creed Thanksgiving Day special, uh, the Thanksgiving Day halftime special, back from Mm. 2001. And our friend Marty, who was on the episode last week when we talked about NHL hits, heard that we were going to be talking about Creed, and he absolutely had to be on it. Demanded. He told us, you know, he'll never come on again. He had a list of things. He has a contract and everything. So we're like, all right, Marty, all right. You you come on. You can talk about Creed. You can, you know, bring a drink, sit down, and uh, have some fun. We'll talk about it. So... Let's bring Marty onto the show right now and talk about Creed. <laughs> Ready to f***ing celebrate, boys. Ready to go. What's happening? When I listen to Creed, when I listen to Creed, I need to have a cold Bud Light and I need to just enjoy it with my butts, you know? I hope the label is facing out because you got to have a Bud Light open while you're watching Creed. Football, I think this video came out like a month after 9-11. This is the most American video I've ever seen. Mike, I got to bring you back into this conversation too. How do you feel about the band Creed and this video? Well, my arms are often wide open for new bands and uh, they do take me higher, to be honest. And, uh, and you know, I'll just go there. I'll go there. Honestly, I associate Creed with your brother, Neil. Like, that's, like, the only association yeah. I have. Because I do remember that he had a bunch of Creed CDs. And, and, and yeah, I'm not exaggerating. It was definitely a bunch. I've never seen someone with more than just the one. So that was uh, that was pretty but cool. Here's the thing about Creed. About, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, people did, like, people still do. But they were actually, like, very popular. Yes. And then they became one of the more hated bands. But for a while, it was unironic. People listened to them. And my brother is one of those people. He was born in what 1988 or something like that and he loves oh, he loves time. this oh yeah he was he had no chance against that like you know you you hear my sacrifice you hear take me higher you have to like them and he still does buy their cds and listens to them I, i'd like turn off my video game in my room and i would just hear like through the through the walls Can you take me higher? Like, let's go there 
Let's make our skit. We're talking today about a halftime show from a Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving Day football game. And Creed is the, the halftime show. And they tie together three songs. I believe it's Higher, My Sacrifice, and Don't Stop Dancing. While there are these, what do you call it? The uh, the people on the ropes somehow suspended, swinging around. There's also a team of maybe 50 backup dancers. There's even a chorus of uh, like church core, like black people dressed in their, their church gear. And they're doing like a, uh, I guess a hymn or something like that in the background. I don't know. There's cutaways to literally 9-11 cleanup footage. And, and like the Salvation Army, I think they sponsored this whole halftime show. And the whole thing is clearly lip synced, which makes it even better. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. When you, like, <laughs> yeah. When uh, Scott Stapp has that, like, like, let's make our escape. And you just see his, his mouth just go wide open for the word escape. Like, <laughs> just his like, throat is, uh, and, his... and it just like turned around the other way. <laughs> and then, I mean, Mark Tremonti is such a good guitar player, though. Low key. The Creed guy is, is so sick. He has his own. Uh, uh, okay, All right, I'll just I'll just break. I'll just take over again. I'll just do my thing that everybody hates. So okay, so yes, so this was after nine eleven, right? Mm-hmm. This is perfect time for Creed. They put out weathered. <laughs> they put out weathered like I think a week after this because if this is American Thanksgiving, weathered came out like late November two thousand one. Have you ever seen that album cover? For weathered, look it up right now. It's 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 unreal. It's like you will actually not. You will think it's fake. Oh my god! No way, <laughs> that's real. That's the real album cover. What is their fi- all this? Their faces just in a tree, a weathered just like tree, a weathered uh-huh. tree. So they are the ones that are weathered. <laughs> so they they have this one coming out right. They're on the back of higher. They have this incredible performance that brings the country together, a fragile mm-hmm. country after nine eleven. Yes, well, there are the there are the hairless men uh, uh, flying in the sky with the like white drape things. Yes, it's a mm-hmm. it's a wonderful. Uh, um, aerobatic uh, experience. They what, also what? have, and I I need to point this out because it's one of my funniest videos of all time, and I will not. Okay, I'll get canceled for this. It's called Creed Shreds. It's on YouTube. Uh, it was like one of those weird sort of mid two thousand things where they were just like dub uh, crappy rock videos and just make it kind of funny. But the video was taken from a performance of Creed at the Olympics. So if you recall the Salt Lake City Olympics in 2002, again, a na- like uh, the nation is healing. And like of all of the artists that the United States of America has produced, and that was alive in 2002, they got Creed <laughs> to do a song. So they, they this was prime time for them. And they you could tell they were really feeling their, you know, they were, they were, they were, they were feeling it, right? They were like, they were in their element. Scott Stabb had a jersey with his last name on it. Yes. Like, Let's go Cowboys. Let's go. And is that his... Is that his wife that comes in too, to uh, Amy Stapp? Is that I'm assuming everybody's that's, his is, wife. Every, he's, <laughs> he, he owns the world. Everybody's his wife. Actually, you know what? They look too. I'm pretty sure I have. I'm doing no prior research. They look similar. It better be his sister, but it might be his wife because he seems like he may only be able to marry someone who looks just like him. Uh, full full respect to Scott Stapp. I know he had some major drug issues there in the the mid 2000s. And but, he's coming back. He's he's been he's been sober I think for quite a while, which huh. he'll be a judge on the voice at one point I'm sure, but what makes uh, what makes this video so much better is of course I Mike and I love YouTube comments. Um, and if you scroll down here uh, from two years ago, Bin Laden went into hiding after hearing this because of the transition into my sacrifice was so smooth. <laughs> and that just <laughs> 
As there's just like it was just a crossfade like up in the booth. Like they just like just What's, took down one track and added another one. Yeah. Even yeah. better, the the Dallas Cowboys are losing at halftime, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> I think I think something makes me think that the guitar playing is 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 real. But I think it's maybe just Scott Stapp's lyrics that are like or like the, the vocals, but it's also like the the guitar I mean, okay. We, we just like Limp Biscuit, as we mentioned on a previous episode, it just sounds so good. The guitars yeah. just sound so good. Mark Tremonti is so such good. a good guitar player. It's like, how does he do it? How does he do they it? Don't, it's crazy. They don't make guitars like that anymore. They just do drop D, and then you just do a little bit of chugging. You say, let's go there, and that's it. You're done. <laughs> let's, just, let's, let's go there, guys. Let's go there. Let's go there. I will say, this This is a amazingly choreographed halftime show for not even a Super Bowl. Like... It's very good. Like, there's like hundreds of people dancing on stage here. And my fiance, we were we were analyzing, over analyzing this video, trying to count how many different people are suspended on those uh, those sheet rope things. Because at one point, it's like a couple of bald guys, and then later, it's people with very long hair. So we're not sure if oh, if like they they put wigs on or if they had like a team of suspended dancers like ready to go in case someone pulled a muscle or something because they were just going too hard to to swinging to Creed songs. That could make sense. It was, yeah. I mean, this was just such such a time where, like, yeah, obviously the Thanksgiving Day game, like, or I, I guess it's that, yeah, the Thanksgiving Day game, like, had this kind of stuff. I remember the last mm-hmm. one that had any cultural impact, which is, like, low-key just trying to copy this, was they had Nickelback do the Detroit Lions halftime, but oh, it God. was, like, really bad because everyone was just genuinely upset. They're just like, we don't want to <laughs> hear this. This is, like, 2011. You're like, no, like, get, get this out of here. But it's clearly, like, back then, you're like, oh, no, Creed playing this would be unreal. <laughs> Worth the price of admission. Absolutely. My God. How did Creed not play at least three Super Bowls? I don't know how they're not, like, the official band of the Super Bowl. Like, they should play every anthem and halftime. <laughs> Like let's keep, go keep, there. Give Rihanna, give Rihanna a day off yeah. and bring and keep Creed in, in the uh, in the Creed rotation. Plus, Rihanna, Ooh. making it happen. But but she has to play Creed songs. Obviously, yeah. She, no, yeah. no. Creed Creed would back Umbrella, and then oh, uh, yes. Scott Stapp would do. Maybe Scott Stapp Scott Scott Stapp would do the Jay Z part. Who knows? Ooh. Maybe he'll just rap it. <laughs> I mean, he he needs to fit in somewhere. He cannot be in charge of this. Like, yeah, he, he, Creed is coming to the table in this regard. So it's really anybody's anybody's choice. I I would like to hear them do that for sure. Or diamonds. Creed would be great oh. back. In oh diamonds. yeah. And then maybe transition to a cover of Her Diamonds by Rob Thomas. Ooh, by Rob Thomas. And then shine that. bright like a diamond, diamonds. which is I don't even know. Who does that one? That, that's that's diamonds. Diamonds by no, not Rob Thomas. The that, one. No, this is Rihanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Rihanna? That, that's what Marty was for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Too many too many songs about stuff. Uh, <laughs> Diamonds, Rihanna in the style of Creed. <laughs> like, has someone done this yet? If if not, I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> no, nah, there's nothing. Another there's nothing. comment. Okay, got it. One of, if not the best live performances in the history of mankind. <laughs> <laughs> is another comment on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect. I don't know if you can deny I that. I know. I'm not sure you can actually deny because that. it ends perfectly, which every live performance should, where they release a dove. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, that's, that's just that's just nice. It's healing. perfect. Healing. It's he- healing. I think that is the message of this entire video is healing. And then Thanks, they guys. and then they put out weathered like a week later. <laughs> like this band was on top. Yeah. They, they had, had no a great album cover. Top. They had songs. 
some of the song that my sacrifice was the one song uh i think the rest of them that no one ever <laughs> one listened last breath one last breath that's a that's a hit one last breath i remember that one yeah so for anyone who hasn't please check out that video listen to the album look at the album artwork of weathered and see that tree because that's gonna haunt my nightmares tonight and i hope it haunts all of yours so uh marty anything else you'd like to say about uh about creed in this music video before we let you go nah let's go there take me higher marty Let's make our escape. <laughs> Go make your escape, and uh, I'll see you later. Thanks, Marty. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, that was such a great conversation there with Marty. I I love Creed, man. It, I, I've, I've, I like them ironically, like over the last couple of years with you. You know, we joke about them, but honestly, I'm starting to listen to them unironically. <laughs> it's, that's one of those things that uh, we had an opening topic about that a couple of years ago. And yeah. I'm talk, talking about things that transition from ironic to unironic uh, and maybe back to ironic eventually. But uh, thanks, Marty, for coming on, talking about Creed. Really helpful, uh, really good insight, and I'm glad he did his research. But, Neil, I think it is time that we get to the episode at large. What do you think? I think so too, Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 17 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we love from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet who are keeping Creed at the front of your mind and at the top of your heart. You can support our show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote for our monthly Patreon elected episode. All patrons get the show early and ad free. Last week, we talked about NHL hits. 02 and 03. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest N64 games of all time. A first for Mike and I uh, to cover an N64 title, mm. since for the most part, we covered, we've covered we covered GameCube, we've covered Wii, and as we all know, Mike uh, does not like the N64. He wants to see every single N64 on the planet buried at the bottom of the ocean. Um, so if you clicked on this thumbnail for this episode, you already know we are here today to talk about the beloved 1998 classic Banjo Kazooie, which was released on June 29th, 1998, developed by Rare, published by Nintendo. It's on N64, later on re-released on Xbox 360 and Xbox One, and it is now playable on Switch, thankfully. Rates a 9 out of 10. Priced today on N64, about $50 loose, or $170 if you're one of those complete in-box crazy people like I was for a little bit. And it's a 3D platformer. And Mike, I want to hear your memories of Banjo-Kazooie, but of course, we do have a lot of new listeners, you know, catching the show for the first time maybe they didn't hear the story on gamecube was cool podcast where does your where does your hatred for the n64 stem from <laughs> yeah it's 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 one of those things that it just got got more and more as uh, as the episodes <laughs> went on it's uh, we have a inside joke with friend of the show harrison about how i hate tom hanks uh, because one time <laughs> i told him i was like tom hanks not my favorite actor and uh, that's just morphed into me thinking that tom hanks is hitler uh, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at now. And uh, that's kind of what's happened with uh, the N64 as well. I never owned the N64 growing up. My first home console was the GameCube. I grew up playing uh, playing handheld consoles. And so I, and most of those games on those handhelds were SNES games. So before the N64. So that kind of era of gaming was a bit lost to me. And going back to it when I got a bit older, I really didn't like playing a lot of these games because of the the just so many polygons basically just like really really kind of gross looking compared to the much smoother GameCube and and PS2 era games and and we that we've talked about this on this podcast before but it is tough to go back to a lot of these N64 games especially the the non AAA titles uh they're they're 
quite clunky. The camera work wasn't there yet. And of course you had to use a controller that needed three arms. And this was my, <laughs> one of my biggest issues. I always hated the N64 controller despite um, its its design. And despite the, I love like the N64 logo and everything. I love the, the, the concept of the N64, but I never owned one. So I never really got uh, that nostalgia, I guess, for it, like I do ha- with the GameCube. But I, I respect the hell of the N64, of course. I think it has one of the best libraries ever for a gaming console. It's a small library, but it's it's a, it's a really tried and true one. And I was really upset that we didn't get m- most of these games, basically all of these games, uh, on the GameCube. Uh, I think we, we covered it the, in the last episode, the GameCube is cool, that there were only five N64 games that even came over to mm-hmm. the GameCube, which was really sad to see, just because this library is so strong, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and it has things like Banjo Kazooie, which uh, which is a game I did play back in the day, despite not having an N sixty four. Nice, yeah. See, you and I are like complete opposite there with N sixty four. I guess because me, I had an, I had an older brother five years older than me. We got the N sixty four in Christmas of ninety nine with Perfect Dark, and I think we got it with uh, Goldeneye. And like you said, some of the games have not aged particularly well, and those are two of the games I think that are among them. They have not aged particularly well. I think Perfect Dark may be actually the stronger game to play in twenty twenty three over Goldeneye. Of course, you and I love Nightfire mm-hmm. being the spiritual successor to Goldeneye. There are a handful of N sixty four games that I still stand behind are fun to play in uh nowadays and most of those are actually the on-rail shooting games specifically star fox 64 being one of my favorite games of all time and pokemon snap uh any game like that where the controls and the camera are kind of half taken care of for you are still very fun to play uh it's when you get into the shooting games and also sometimes 3d platformers that involve uh more camera controlling and more precise platforming it can be tough to go back to unless you've grown up with them and never really stopped playing them if you go from games today back to games to 25 years ago you're definitely right it's hard to do the graphics haven't aged particularly well and the controller uh was a bit of a travesty i'm very nostalgic for the n64 three-prong trident look yeah. but you're right it makes no sense why would you have this uh this controller <laughs> with three hands on it and i was actually listening to the podcast you you appeared on an n64 specific podcast remember 64 with a friend of the show dave you guys talked about some wrestling games it was really weird listening to you talk to someone else and me not editing the show or being able to talk back <laughs> It was really fun. I was listening to you guys talk about that while playing Banjo-Kazooie in preparation for nice. for this show. So, yeah, the N64 was my family's first home console, which we eventually graduated up to the GameCube, skipped the Wii, and then moved on to mostly PlayStation and then back to Nintendo again. But, yeah, I've always had the N64 hooked up in my in my family's, in our basement, in, in, in my condo here. I have it. I love the N64 games that are now coming to Virtual Console. We were talking offline, actually, before you came on that, uh, you know, you're, you, you logged on today, of course, and we're playing Tears of the Kingdom, as you should, and it just said, Neil is playing uh, Nintendo 64 service, and you're like, <laughs> Like, what the, why aren't you playing Zelda? And I was, of course, playing Banjo-Kazooie, and I was yeah. having such a great time. I love love this game. I, I think, for, for some reason, I, I did remember playing this game back in the day, but I couldn't remember which one of our friends had it. And I don't know if any of our friends did. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically playing this game in McDonald's on their, uh, you know, the classic McDonald's kiosk. This is one mm-hmm. of those games that I may have only played, actually, a handful of times, and not for much, not for very long. 
Um, and I actually have a lot more memories of uh, Donkey Kong 64. Unfortunately, I do not like that game, <laughs> but we can talk about that another time. Uh, I didn't actually fully play Banjo-Kazooie. I've seen gameplay of it and bits and pieces and snippets of it here and there on YouTube and compilation videos, but never actually got a chance to sit down and fully enjoy it and play it until 2015 when it finally came to Xbox One on that rare replay collection, which was one of the coolest things. I think you and I can both agree that Xbox has done probably in the last 20 years. <laughs> yep. Um, that collection was fantastic. And I bought an Xbox One for that collection. I, I, <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories to tell people is that you bought the Xbox One solely to play Rare Replay and then you eventually traded the Xbox One back in. I did. I traded the Xbox One back in for a PS4 and I still have Rare Replay. So As you should. As I should. I, I, I probably will eventually have stumble across an Xbox One in the future at a Goodwill at some point, so I'll just have <laughs> it back. But now that I have Banjo-Kazooie on the Nintendo Switch, I just need Conquer on uh, on the Nintendo Switch, yeah. and then I'm, I'm good to go, honestly. Uh, I eventually went back, and I also bought the N64 cartridge of Banjo-Kazooie, and I own the Amiibo, too, which is really cool. And I, like I said, I played it in 2015 from start to finish, and I loved it. All of it. I was. It was such a joy to play. I love the levels, the character design, the music, the colorful world, the whimsical nature of each level. I had nostalgia. I, I, I get nostalgic for things that I didn't even experience back in the day. Uh, a lot of that is movies and music. Yeah. Things from the 90s and the early 2000s that I catch up on 20 years later, I get nostalgic for them even though I didn't see them. This is one of those things where I play it and it takes me back to being a kid in kindergarten in the late 90s and you know in early 2000s playing N64 way past its life cycle and and still loving it to to this day and i i have a bunch of banjo merch here like i said i've got the games amiibos i've even got a banjo t-shirt that i bought from anc games here in toronto that i've cut the sleeves off and i wear it to the gym and <laughs> i i do get I, I feel like i get the odd glare from people like they're like what the hell is that a banjo shirt and yeah <laughs> yes it, you don't i've never seen another banjo kazooie shirt in the gym before so i definitely have that under my belt so what about you mike what are your memories of uh, banjo kazooie back in the day and playing it in 2023 well, I yeah, I have kind of like three different memories, I guess, of it because I remember it from back in the day. I played it on my friend Nathaniel's N64. Of course, like I said, I didn't have an N64, so I had to borrow uh, friends and I had to go over and, and play it with them. And I remember watching it and I don't really remember the gameplay. What's funny, Neil, is what I remember is the music. That is what really, really got to me. And, and so it was years later. That someone was playing uh, uh, the music of Banjo Kazooie. Oh, I remember where, where, where it was in where I was working at the, the newspaper at my university. Uh, someone had a friend of the show, Cam. Actually, he had uh, Banjo playing because he was kind of the the he was the managing editor, which who sits at like, the reception desk, and so he always had music playing throughout the day. And one of the the tracks that came on was was uh, a banjo track. And right away, I was like, oh, my God, that's Banjo-Kazooie. He's like, yeah, nice job. I was like, yeah, I I like, I didn't really remember much of the game, but I remembered that. And so I, because of that, I asked a friend of the show, Harrison, who I was living with at the time, to bring up his N64 uh, so that we could play it. And he brought Banjo and he brought the N64. And then we started playing it in uh, about 10 years ago. And that's that's the gameplay I really remember. I remember that's the collectathon. You know, that's that's everything mm -hmm. that I remember playing. I remember uh, loving the levels. I remember the the I play the entire game start to finish. 
the trivia at the end was was very strange to me but i was like yeah. this is this is interesting like this is cool uh cuz i definitely didn't get there or anywhere close as a kid and i think i just was watching nathaniel play for most of it i don't even remember if i played very much of it it was probably just like rainy day and like that's what you do as a kid you just like sit there and put the give the controller back and forth with your friend uh right. playing a one person game so uh, the the graphics the the music those were things that i remembered uh, right away, but it was the gameplay that I kind of first experienced in, in 2012. That's cool. I love that the music brought you back too. I also remember, uh, again, going back to ANC games, like they play video game music. Yeah. And usually it's, you know, Mario, Zelda, Final Fantasy, Pokemon, the big ones. But there was one time where I was shopping there. I can't remember if you were with me or if I was by myself, but right away, I heard the it was the opening level or the opening cutscene, and right away you know it's a rare game. It's so cool how they had. I knew it was Banjo Kazooie, but Rare specifically had such a like a trademark on. They they really mastered the N sixty four right away. They did. Uh, Goldeneye soundtrack is is terrific. Banjo is terrific. Diddy Kong Racing, I hum that track to this day. Um, it conquers Bad Fur Day. You know it's 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 fantastic music and. And the levels, like you said, like the, I love how colorful everything is in this game. Every world feels so alive. Like even though it is, you know, it's very limited by today's standards on the N sixty four. The levels aren't huge, like you'd see in Mario Odyssey. They're very tight, but there's something going on, something interesting going on in every single level. Um, you know, there's an ant hill on the mountain, or there's a shark in the water when you jump into the water, or whatever. There's ghosts in the in the in the graveyards, or whatever. And it's got this amazing uh, hub world. That mm-hmm. Rare was so good at because yep. this this is the first batch of 3D platformers and really one of the last great batches of 3D platformers where uh, developers were trying to figure out what to do. How do we string all of these levels together, which we had Mario 1, and one 2, and 3, which were just kind of, oh, maybe you had an overworld and you'd pick the level that you'd go into. But this one had to kind of string them all together in a way that made sense. And in this way, you had uh, the Witch's Mountain kind of thing. And you still had the pictures, the portraits from like Mario 64 kind of thing. Uh, but they also incorporated like the puzzle pieces and uh, unlockable areas that you could get into. So it was all very similar. It seemed mm-hmm. like Rare and Nintendo probably were maybe talking to each other. I found it interesting that they came to the same conclusion on how to tie everything together. But that was that's what really stood out to me playing it now is that just, man, that transition going from a 2D platforming game to a 3D platforming game had to have been one of the toughest things about developing these games. Oh, 100%. Like the it's it's such a different way to develop and and you're absolutely right. Like Rare mastered the N64. They were mm-hmm. maybe the only one we we talk about Sega being probably the the best partner for Nintendo in uh in the GameCube era and uh and and really understanding how the GameCube worked in terms of development and I think Rare uh, without a doubt was their best partner in the N64 era. Really honestly, you could argue saving Nintendo in a lot mm-hmm. of aspects in in the N64 era. The first time Nintendo's sales were going down, right? Uh which is something that that we'll talk about with our guests who come on, but yeah, I mean, obviously Mario 64 was a big influence and they were actually presented Nintendo presented them a very early version of uh, of Mario 64 and what it was going to be uh, which of course released 2 years before Banjo-Kazooie and that kind of exposed the um the development team to the direction of like what video games for Nintendo would take you know where Nintendo would go with their new games and so that was a huge huge boon for them I think because if they hadn't seen that footage uh they probably we probably would not be talking about Banjo 25 years later Honestly, no. like, like, like Mario 64 was so revolutionary when it came out, you know, it, it, it took that, that, 
I mean, 3D now for us is just, it's hard to think about 25 years ago, what like 3D was to the gaming industry and 3D Mm -hmm. on that magnitude of Mario 64. Uh, And so for these devs, like this must've been such a shot in the arm to them being like, oh my God, like we can do this. Like this is a Mm -hmm. thing that like Nintendo is experimenting with. Like, okay, like let's, let's do this too. Let's put our own spin on it. And that's basically what Banjo-Kazooie ended up being. Yeah, the biggest mistake, and I, th- I honestly think that uh, Nintendo's had some big mistakes over the years with the whether or not we've talked about their marketing or the design of controllers or their unwillingness to you know give customers what they want. Definitely, the biggest one has to be not purchasing Rare and giving them up to Microsoft in O2. That like I, I to this day I still like wish like it's one of those things where I'm like man if Nintendo still owned Rare like imagine what they could have done maybe we'd still be getting new Banjo games maybe we'd still be getting Diddy Kong games or something we'd have some new ideas or we'd have new games because Rare were so good at making new new games new ideas making great games based on existing uh, existing IP we've talked about them a little bit with the GameCube of course they had Star Fox Adventures on GameCube which we liked for the most part it's a pretty good game but Rare has such a rich history in game development they go all the way back to 1985 they're an English developer they first they developed their first game for the NES in 1986 and uh, throughout the 80s, 90s, and into the very early 2000s, they were development mainly for Nintendo. But on SNES, you've probably played some of their games with Donkey Kong Country, Battletoads, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Killer Instinct, Diddy Kong Racing, GoldenEye, so many, 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 many more. And in 2002, they were up for sale. Nintendo never actually owned them. They were never a first-party developer for Nintendo. They were always more like a, a second-party uh, developer, basically. Yep. And uh, Microsoft bought them, and ever since then, it was it was really the end of the golden days for Rare. They got put in charge of making okay products for Microsoft. They were making Viva Pinata, which I think was actually a pretty big deal. Connect yep. uh, games. They were making the avatars for Xbox Live, which was random. And most recently, they put out Sea of Thieves, which I actually think is a pretty decent game. I think it has a pretty good fan base, and I think the game works very well, but a far cry from what they were making in the 90s uh, for Nintendo. And unfortunately, most of the developers who worked on in Rare uh, during the heyday have long gone. They made their own studios, uh, specifically Playtonic Studios, which listeners may know the uh, the indie game uh, Ukulele, which came out in 2017. That's basically Banjo-Kazooie Part 2, but wasn't as well-received as Banjo-Kazooie was, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, and we'll talk about that later on, too, with the, with the future of Rare and Banjo, because they are intricate connected uh it's it's one of those developers that what that everyone just think when you think of banjo you do think of rare right away and vice versa uh definitely tied to them definitely should be basically be their mascot the puzzle icon um which is banjo's uh icon of course in smash as well uh that was a that was a big deal we'll talk about that too when banjo got announced uh on nintendo again in uh, in the form of uh him being a fighter in uh in smash and uh and you know most recently we had banjo kazooie coming to the n64 online service in 2022 which was a pretty big surprise to me honestly uh, i i i wasn't sure when that was actually going to come but goldeneye as well is now here so there has been a lot of kissing and making up with uh, between xbox and uh, nintendo uh, microsoft and nintendo working together a lot more so 
Who knows, we might see Banjo 3 in the future, but we'll leave that to the end of the episode. Before then, Neil, we do have two great guests joining the show, and the guest this week, uh, and the first one that we have on, is Josh from the Still Loading Podcast. He was on the show earlier this year, so he's actually the first guest to be featured twice now on Unlocking What Was Cool. That's a nice little badge of honor Josh gets to wear. And uh, Josh, before we get into some uh, Banjo-Kazooie, I gotta ask you, how do you hold an N64 controller? Do you hold it chaos mode with uh, the holding it from the far left and the far right? Uh, no. Uh, well, it depends on the game, actually. Mm. Uh, most games, no. Most games, no. You would be a madman. You would be. Uh, <laughs> you would be essentially the Joker from the Dark Knight. Just, just the purpose of your life is just chaos if you held it. Uh, in that, in the other way, just normally. Uh, no, I would usually play with my left hand in the on the center spot or whatever, because that's where the joystick was, and my right hand over with the A and B and the C uh, the C buttons. Uh, I would use Chaos Mode if I was playing Pokemon Red or Blue through the Game Boy Pack on Pokemon Stadium. Okay, okay, that's. I think that's allowed. Neil, what do, what do you think? I allow that because yeah. the Game Boy didn't have a joystick, so you don't need that middle prong. You don't need the Z trigger either. So, yep. yeah, if you're playing Game Boy games, then it totally makes sense to hold it chaos mode. But <laughs> uh, I remember my cousin would hold it from the middle prong, I guess we'll call it that. And he used his – so he's holding it with his left hand. And he'd use his right hand to, like, move the joystick like it was, I don't know, like a Street Fighter cabinet, <laughs> I guess would be the best way to describe it. And then he would quickly switch over to the buttons like he was playing a PC. Now, he was a year younger than me, so he might have been, like, six when we were playing N64 games back in the day. But I was like, what in God's name are you doing and how are we related? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last time you ever spoke to him. That's right. We, we have no idea where he is today. As nope. a proper gamer, you are. <laughs> Right, I had to disown him as a as a family member just due to that reason alone. <laughs> no love lost there. I understand that for sure. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but Josh, we did bring you on not just to talk about the N sixty four and and that 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 controller from back in the day, but we wanted to talk about a classic nineteen ninety eight game, Banjo Kazooie, and and want to hear your memories with it. So, what are your first memories with uh, the 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 bear and the bird? So I did not own this game as a kid at all. Like it was not something I actually fully beat even until I probably four years ago, I want to say four ish. Um, but I did play it as a kid. I would rent this from Blockbuster. Nice. And I would, I remember really like, because I liked Donkey Kong 64 and it, I did not know that they were developed by the same studio at the time but i do know like they kind of had very similar vibes you know specifically the music styles and the the visuals and all that other stuff and it's a 3d platformer with a lot of collectibles so it all kind of was like something i was into playing it while renting it from blockbuster i never got very far into it and i remember being very uh how can i describe this you know that that age when you first get into video games and you first start playing games and everything is still mysterious. Yep. You know, everything just seems there's a mystique about video games still. Uh, I like to, uh, the best, the easiest example I can give this is when I first played the N64 or first started to, I remember being afraid in Mario 64 of the castle itself. Cause when you walk in the door, I had no 
context for what was going on. Mm-hmm. But you walk in the door and you hear Bowser's laughing and you just hear, hur, 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 hur. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what what did I do? Why is this scary thing happening? And then the whole idea of like jumping into picture frames and all this other stuff, it was just this, like it just felt so much larger. And there's two games that stuck out to me at this time, like that I rented or uh, owned, actually rented, that really kind of captured that, imagine captured my imagination one was believe it or not rayman 2 uh okay. yeah. i don't cool. i don't i never really played it much past the first area in the rental but for some reason that really captured my imagination but the second was banjo kazooie and just the idea of like these puzzle you know the jiggies which are the puzzle pieces and kind of exploring these caves to get into different other worlds and just the specifically the the original hub area where they teach you all your different moves all the basic moves and movement tech and stuff like that it just the whole thing just really captured my imagination and it was something where I was like this is this game's huge this this like this world feels so much bigger than what I could expect like there could be something around every corner and that's kind of like the beauty of that age where like you will be running into corners of the wall could be like well can i run up this wall can i run up this wall can i can i walk through here oh this corner looks slightly different maybe if i aim at this specific pixel i'm able to do this jump a little bit better Mm -hmm. type of thing and you lose all that as you get older so what banjo really sim uh like symbolizes to me is it's not so much nostalgia for the game itself. It's nostalgia for the period in my life when games were still mysterious and everything was possible in within a game. Like you didn't know what you, you didn't understand game logic yet. So you tried everything and everything was new and exciting. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that's kind of how uh, obviously we've been talking about this a lot because of Tears of the Kingdom, but that's kind of how Breath of the Wild made you feel again in 2017 mm-hmm. when that came out and the fact that you were doing those same kind of things that you did as a kid, uh, exploring, trying to see what, how you could basically break the game. You know, I remember trying to climb uh, climb walls for the first time in Breath of the Wild, seeing a mountain and just being able to go to it. I definitely have the same feeling with Banjo in a lot of ways as well. Uh, I think that the colorful universe of it, the... The, the seemingly like massive expanse that these levels were uh, mm-hmm. all rendered at once you know that was that was pretty crazy I, I know we had Mario 64 but as Neil mentioned earlier in the episode this was different yeah it felt it felt different to Mario 64 for me I love Mario 64 I think between the two Mario has aged better in terms of controls and camera and everything but banjo it feels like it's aged better in terms of its charm, mm-hmm. the character dynamics between everybody, the way they talk to each other, the personality all these characters have. And I do love the worlds, like Mike was saying there, how with Breath of the Wild, bringing back that feeling of exploration and discovering things new and trying to figure out what's possible. I feel like Banjo does do that, but with the limitations of the N64, every level feels like everything in it had a purpose, yeah. like Josh was saying. Like, you know, you'd go in and you'd, you'd try and scour every corner because likely you were to find something in every single corner. Or you'd try to go to anything, any, if you'd see like a little cabin or like a, like a rock somewhere or a flame or a character walking around doing something, you'd want to go over and explore and see, is this is this character friendly? Is it is it an enemy that I need to attack? Or is it a puzzle that I need to enter into to get another jiggy? Like everything felt like it was this big 
everything felt like it's been tailor-made for you to explore. Yeah. And it's actually been a really fun thing to do the last couple weeks preparing for this episode in that I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom when I have a little bit more time and when I have a little bit less time or when I just feel like playing something like, I just want to play something smaller that's still really fun. <laughs> it's been fun to go to Banjo. For some reason, I feel like playing this massive open world game that doesn't hold your hand contrasts so well to playing this little N64 game from 25 years ago. Even though they're very different from completely different eras and consoles, they just they just pair with each other so well because you can go from an endless game to a game that has definitely like an end goal to it. And it's really fun to go around collecting all these things. There's hundreds of music notes and puzzle pieces and like Jinjos. And and you do hear a lot of people talk about the game nowadays. The only con people ever say is, oh, it's just a glorified uh, collect-a-thon basically. But that is a lot of fun for me. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And to this day, I love playing it. And Josh, I'm like you. I didn't play this game until way later. I think it was 2015 for me. And I still love it to this day, playing it in 2023. I will say that there's a two a couple things you mentioned you said that like uh, got me thinking. One, I semi disagree about the Mario sixty four comparison. I think that Mario sixty four I think will always be ultimately more important because it set the standard for three yep. D platformers. But I think Banjo is a much more interesting game overall for the sake that the camera controls I I personally think are better. Banjo's moveset is a lot more varied. I think where Mario really edges it out is movement. Mario mm-hmm. is just fun to move. Yeah. Like everything feels very yeah. fluid and organic versus banjo feels a little bit more rigid because the moves like every time you try to do a move attack like attack in a move like banjo has to stop like all its forward momentum is stopped versus Mm -hmm. in mario 64 when you do an attack you just keep going and the other thing is i to kind of bounce off what you were saying with uh to echo what you're saying how people call this like a glorified collectathon i i I don't know where that criticism comes from because i understand there is a lot to collect but this is far from what rare ended up doing with like donkey kong 64 i love donkey kong 64 but there are like 25 collectibles way more than that there's like <laughs> there's like what, a million five collectibles in that game or something. 100 regular bananas there's yeah. crystal coconuts there's i mean there's so many things and that's all per character on top of that yeah, like right Oh, and coins. There's coins in each level. Like, yeah. uh, so there's all these different things that you collect in that per character, and there's five characters. So you're looking at quintuple the amount already per level per character. It's just, it's, it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. So Banjo, I think, is a much more subdued. Like, I think it's a collectathon. It is a collectathon. No ifs, ands, or buts, but I think it's a collectathon done right in that mm-hmm. sense where. You, they don't overpower you with collect, collectibles. You have your music notes, you have your uh, you have your jiggies, and then obviously the collectibles for like uh, the eggs for weapons, and then the mumbo tokens. Like mm-hmm. everything feels like it has a purpose. Versus like in DK sixty four, you don't need a lot of them. <laughs> like you don't you don't need some of them. Uh, and the fact that like the there's a lot of bad i think bad decision making in terms of that game in terms of the game design of how the bananas get you into the boss and all that other stuff in that game this game doesn't have that like yes you have to find enough jiggy so you can move on to the next area but that's just progression that's essentially testing you to see how much you've explored each of the levels and how much you've mastered the controls Mm -hmm. within it you know so i 
I understand why people don't like collectathons, but I think it's a really disingenuous art argument from people. And this isn't directed at you, Neil. This is just the people out there who say like, though, this is a glorified mm-hmm. collectathon because to me, I'm not, I don't know. I don't have nostalgia for this game, but like this game's really good. It's really, really good still. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up with this. I, I, I like, yeah, I had that rental thing, but other than that, I can't say it's this, you know, touchstone of my childhood, but playing it even like four years ago for the first time, I still found myself really enjoying it. Yeah, the game isn't bad because it's just a collectathon. You think it's bad because it's a collectathon. Like, there's a difference between that. Like, it does it very. It's like saying that FIFA is bad because it's just a soccer game. Like, yeah. it, you're just yeah. not. It's a glor- FIFA is a glorified soccer game. <laughs> exactly, but it does it so well. Like, it just means that you're not into it. I personally love collecting things in games. That's all I'm doing right now in Tears of the Kingdom. I'm just going through playing shrines and collecting Korok seeds. I'm not playing the story. And same thing in Banjo. Like, I really the story is basically just Snow White. Uh, except no one's asleep. It's just this witch who wants to look beautiful and has stolen the prettiest girl in the land or whatever. Uh, I really don't care what's going on. I just want to play this game as this goofy bear and this sassy bird going around into random worlds and collect as many golden, beautiful puzzle pieces and music notes as I possibly can and laugh at some of the self-deprecating and fourth wall breaking jokes. It's such a cool snapshot of what was going on in 1998 in terms of comedy, game development, Rare, who were one of the best game developers of the time. Um, and and to this day, it's still it's still fantastic. But the game starts off. We've talked a lot about the game itself. Starts off with one of the coolest openings on any N sixty four game. Mike, I know you have a lot to talk about with the intro to this game. I think it's just so interesting and so iconic that I needed to make sure that we bring it up. And and I would have really <laughs> regretted if we didn't talk about it. Obviously, we're going to talk about the story, the gameplay, the the music, everything about it. But but it, it really kind of the the charm. Uh, comes to head for this game as soon as you start it right it's so colorful it's so charismatic um within seconds you know exactly what kind of game this is going to be like we see that little n64 uh logo animation Mm -hmm. that comes in you know walking in with these weird um these very strange sounds that we've already heard with like rare games beforehand but it's it's amped up a notch for sure we see banjo Mm -hmm. and kazooie doing their little sounds or oh uh, and uh Uh, like and, goofy. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, and Banjo literally brings out a banjo to play along with the music. Love that. Kazooie literally playing the kazoo. Uh, doesn't get much more charming than that, for sure. We get the flute. We get some sax. We get some xylophones on the Nintendo logo, courtesy of Mumbo yep. Jumbo. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. We even get a fiddle in there. What a, what a nice little jamboree. We got going, and once we uh, we see the menu screen, you know we we've gotten past the little title screens there, which are so funny and original. Uh, now we start seeing um, uh, some gameplay of banjo uh, before we press start, which alone I remember like this is that unlocked a memory for me when I booted up on the N sixty four online to play it again this week. I was like, oh my god, I remember as a kid just sitting here and watching the title screen and watching the gameplay. Because, you know, you have to think of this in the, this world where we didn't see footage of gameplay before we played a game, right? Like, there were no Twitch streamers, obviously. There was no YouTube. There's there's no way to see a game unless you were actually playing it. Like, even on advertisements, like on YTV, like on TV, would, they wouldn't really show gameplay very much. They'd just show me, like, look, it's Banjo. It's this guy. N64, mm-hmm. go buy it. And you're like, okay, I guess I gotta go buy this now. Uh, and so it was very cool to see the and the title screen. You actually get to see Banjo doing his thing. Uh, and then once we you get into it, we uh, we have our all our different save screens. 
and we see Banjo in Kazooie's house. Uh, the first save slot is Banjo sleeping. The second save slot is Banjo cooking. And the third house, or the third um, save slot, is Banjo playing an original Game Boy. Uh, with Kazooie cheering him on in the background. <laughs> like, come on, how is that not the most charming thing ever? And do you know the game that they're playing on the Game Boy? Oh, God, no, I don't. Yeah, based on the music being played, Josh, I don't know if you caught this or how good your, how many Game Boy games you've played, but it's it's a game called Donkey Kong Land on the Game Boy, which is a game developed by Rare. Oh. So it's a oh. reference to their own game. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I did not know that. Thank you, Neil. There you go. <laughs> I actually yeah. own that game, too. I have not really given it. Or, my, my uncle actually owned that game for his Game Boy when I was a kid, and I remember playing it and being awful at it, but not enough to <laughs> notice the music. So that's it, really cool. Thank it, you for pointing that out. Yeah, it's really. you can tell by the music that's being played. Uh, they, it literally plays the music from Donkey Kong Land. I think it's the first one. I don't think it's Donkey Kong, because there's three of those, I think, on, on Game Boy. Um, it would have been, they came so close. It would have been awesome if Rare somehow snuck like a ROM of that game onto this cartridge. Like you could play Donkey Kong Land 3 because obviously they were huge on in Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong 64. That was like their baby of the 90s. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool little Easter egg there. I never noticed. The thing is, I, I didn't really notice the menu screens, even though I have played this game on N64. I'm so used to playing it now on, uh, Xbox three or Xbox one when I got it on that. And, uh, the, the Nintendo switch where I just use, uh, the load screens or the, um, save points now. Yeah. Uh, so I, you can skip over all of that, uh, when, when, just because I can pick back right up where I'm, where I was playing. It's great on saving time, but I do, you do miss a lot of that charm that rare put into just the opening five minutes of this game alone uh with uh modern technology so yeah it's it's cool for people if you haven't experienced the the n64 cartridge to uh go back and watch the game from start to i guess the first level i think it's worth playing on the n64 personally because i don't mm-hmm. did, did you you guys both played this on the switch online i'm assuming yes yeah i've played it on everything i've played it on n64 xbox one and switch well, the reason I asked, did you notice like the frame rate felt odd? Like it was almost too smooth? Yeah, I think it's it's on Switch. I think it's running the Xbox 360 version, which is kind of like the up-resed, not mm. HD, but almost HD version of it. So yeah. it is different than everything's a little bit uh, sharpened up, kind of like the um, what's going on with the Star Wars games, like the N64 the pod, pod racing racer. game on yeah. Switch looks way better than it did on N64. And I think that's what it is. Oh, I, it's not the visuals. I understand they, they sharpen and crispen up the lines. I'm talking literally about like the camera movement, almost like it's stuttery, if that makes uh. sense. Like all the camera, when it follows Banjo, it'll like move along slowly, slowly, sl- uh, slowly <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm even trying to say anymore? It'll move along slowly or, you know, at the same pace as Banjo. And then it will kind of pause for a second and then speed up to get back to where it needs to be. Even, you know what I mean? And it's not like it happens like once every now and then. It's like a consistent thing. It'll be like steady, steady, steady. That's the word I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Steady. Holy cow. Um, It'll be like steady, 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 pause, speed up, steady, 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 pause, speed up, steady, steady. It happens frequently and consistently, Mm -hmm. at least for me. That's how it felt like. Maybe... And I wonder, is that was the game always like that, or is it like something that's new with the with the upscaled version of it, or if it was always like that, did the N sixty four being on a CRT mask all of that? Because that's one of the things a lot of people don't talk about with visual fidelity, is like when especially with like N sixty four games, but like older games, they were meant to be played on CRTs just because like. Yep. 
you mm-hmm. because CRTs were inherently not as crisp and not as clean in terms of their visuals, it would a lot of the colors would bleed into each other and they designers smartly would use that to basically add contour to like characters. So like some characters, like especially when you get to the 16 bit era where there's a lot of definition on them, they look a lot more detailed on the CRT version because the colors blend together and they look a little bit nicer when, instead of being able to see every single pixel. So to bring that back to Banjo, I want, I don't know if that's like a symptom of that or if it really was just the differences of the port, you know? Probably. It probably is just the a lot of those seams or a lot of the cracks being shown because it's now I'm playing it on an HD TV as opposed to a tube TV. You're right. Anything up until the Xbox 360 generation probably should be played on a tube TV. Uh, I don't have one set up here, unfortunately, but whenever I play any of these games pre, especially games pre 2000, a 3D game, especially this polygonal, honestly, like bluntly ugly era of gaming. Uh, if there's any kind of pop in, if there's any frame rate dip or if the camera doesn't quite go the way I want it to go. I usually just kind of shrug and, and, you know, toss, toss my hands into the air because it's just the way games were back then. Uh, like playing Goldeneye on four screens, like anytime everybody was using all explosives, the thing would dip down to like a five frame per second at best. So if the camera didn't quite move the way I wanted it to, when I'm playing Banjo-Kazooie now, it's, it's, I kind of just, you know, that's just the way the game is and it's not going to be perfect. And it just adds a little bit more charm to the game too, because if this game came out in 2020, it would be, we'd be on version 2.0028 or whatever the hell like it would just be patched Mm -hmm. beyond belief but they had you know 16 months 24 months to make this game in 1997 and whatever came out is the game that we're still playing today uh minus maybe a little bit of uprezzed graphics like you said sharpened lines and textures and everything but other than that it's completely the way it was yeah which i like to bring it back to what you you started kind of started this little rabbit hole here mike the charm (laughs) of the game it is so freaking charm i'm with you on that 100 and like when I was playing this afternoon in preparation for this episode, re, kind of refamiliarizing myself, it was right before my daughter went to bed and or for her nap, I should say. And I turned it on and she loved it. She loved watching the intro. You were talking about, Mike, you know, banjo playing the banjo, the music going on. Yeah. She was enraptured by it. Now, she's only two, so keep that in mind. But two-year-olds also, if they don't like something, they just F off. They they, <laughs> they don't care. It's true. Uh, they will not if, – if they don't like it, they will tell you immediately and start <laughs> whining about it. Or uh, her new thing right now, my daughter, is if there's a song that she likes on and then either my wife or I start singing along with it, she's like, no, don't sing. <laughs> there's don't no ruin filter. this for me. That's yeah, awesome. Don't, don't you ruin this for me. I like this song. And – it's so much so when I was playing this game, I was trying to read her the dialogue, taking out some of the words, like because not like the words they say is actually bad, but I don't need her saying poopy already, or like call. <laughs> sorry, not think. No, poopy's fine, but not calling people poopy or dumb or calling her an old hag, yeah. calling, <laughs> exactly, or a wench. Um, so I, I don't need my two year old going up to some random person in the, in the grocery store and be like, "My mommy's a wench" or something. Like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I was, but I was reading that to her, and she once again said, "Daddy, no, stop!" Because she liked the gibberish sound. That she liked mm. the goofy, the iconic. She enjoyed that. It just really kind of spoke to her curiosity, you know. And I love that. I like it. The game really is just fun to visually look at. It's a beautiful game, even still, I think. I think uh, it's a real testament to what good art direction can do, where, yeah, the graphics may not be that great, 
But because they did such a good job at art direction, specifically the colors, it's such a beautifully colorful game. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's wonderful. It really holds up. I've said it before and I'll say it a million more times, Neil. It, this is a great example of cohesive design and development. Mm-hmm. It feels like one person created this entire world. And that's why it's so charming. That's why it works. That's why uh, you want to get behind it. That's why your two-year-old is interested in it because it feels like one person's labor of love. That's that's Banjo-Kazooie for you. And that's why it really does stand the test of time. And that kind of leads me to my next question uh, for you, Josh, is there were 388 games on the N64 uh, and almost two dozen of them are platformers, uh, which was probably the most popular genre in the, in the 90s at that time. So what would you say this game does better than any of those other 3D platformers? Uh, like, why has that stood the test of time? We've talked about Charming, but what else uh, kind of does Banjo bring to the game? In my opinion, it's uh, this is <laughs> this might be a hot take. It's not necessarily my own, but I can see, but I don't necessarily disagree with it either. It's one of those ones where, you know, I don't agree or disagree, but I think <laughs> it's a valid point to bring up. It's a better Mario 64 uh, it's in in the sense that while I'm not saying it's more important to be very clear, Mario 64 will always be more important than Banjo Kazooie. But Banjo Kazooie really refined what Mario like took Mario 64, saw what it did, and refined it a lot. Now whether you like it or more, you know Mario controls very different than Banjo. That's that's a whole different thing, which is why I'm not necessarily a hundred percent on board that the comparison is accurate. But I do think it's a good conversation topic in that. You know, you look at Mario 64 and you like the the camera. They were just trying to figure out how to do camera in 3D. Banjo-Kazooie didn't fix it, but did a lot better with it, in my opinion. There was a lot more. I felt a lot more in control of the camera than I did for uh, with with the previous or with Mario 64. I also think they really expanded the move set of a 3D platformer. You know, there are so many different things you can do as Banjo and Kazooie. Um, you know, between the the stomping, you know, when uh, uh, you jump up and <laughs> Kazooie slams their beak into the into the ground, um, or you do the charge where Kazooie like sticks its hit their neck out and like tries to stab somebody with their beak, um, or just Banjo kind of doing that really adorable like half hearted like punching walk. Uh, yeah. where he's like, I don't want to do this, but I gotta do this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it. The moveset is just that much more interesting. I do think it was visually a huge step up compared to a lot of other games on the N64. I think it was really well-designed around the limitations of the console. Uh, Specifically, N64, while I love the system, it does have a muddy look to it. Like If you play the original console, a lot of the games and textures, the, the textures will look fine, but the visuals, there's no like crisp lines, you know, like even the PS one had a lot crisper lines compared to the visuals on the N64, uh, that kind of thing. So I think what makes this game stand out above all the other platformers besides its charm is the fact that you have better camera movement than most others. The controls are really, really solid. Like movement is still fun overall, not as fun as Mario 64 in my opinion, but the movement is still really fun. Huge wide variety of different moves you can do and not too many, not over not an overwhelming amount, uh, but just enough, not the Donkey Kong 64 amount where there's like four, like two special moves per character along with like yeah. the same moves they get for everybody else. It, there's so much in that game. 
So I, I think what just makes this game stand out is just that it really took what worked before and really refined it, uh, iterated on it, and made it so it just still feels timeless all these years later all these years later i can't say the same like as much as i love donkey kong 64 and i still enjoy playing it it doesn't hold up nearly as well as banjo does even though that came out a year after you know banjo kazooie Mm -hmm. i think a year after i think it came out in 99 i mean hell even look at like goldeneye i love goldeneye I know that's not necessarily uh, pla- that's not a platform, so that's not maybe that's not the best. No, example. but but I, I see what you're saying. Where yeah. it's just like that that N64 look definitely plagues Goldeneye for mm-hmm. sure. Yes, like like compared 100%. to where Banjo Kazooie looked great at the time and looks still great now because of that like that vibrance, that colorfulness, that uh, that looks good on a tube TV or honestly still looks good on on a flat screen. You know, the frame rate might not be as good sometimes for sure, but the mm-hmm. the look is still there. I feel like like with Donkey, it's hard not to talk about these three games: Mario sixty four, Banjo, and Donkey Kong sixty four. <laughs> it kind of feels like Mario and Don- if Mario and Donkey Kong were like a circle in a Venn diagram, Banjo Kazooie is that middle space where it takes all of the mm-hmm. charm from Rare from Donkey Kong sixty four, all the amazing characters, dialogue, jokes, banter animations facial expressions eyes like it takes all of that and it takes the platforming and the combat and the exploration from mario and puts it together into this classic game and when i think of n64 like when i think of the console for some reason i my mind always goes to that banjo kazooie i love the box art it just goes to that game as being like the n64 experience to play unfortunately no multiplayer which the n64 is iconic for with all the games that you know everybody out there knows them the mario karts and the golden eyes but this is really an amazing single player experience like a zelda like ocarina of time this is right up there in that conversation with a game that you have to experience um hopefully you experienced it back in the day because it's harder to go back to 3d platformers now if you didn't grow up with them but i think that you can get over the controls and the the camera and the graphics definitely and find something here find something here to enjoy but it, it is that middle ground between mario and uh and donkey kong and it's neat to know too that uh little kids apparently two-year-olds really enjoy this game because i was playing this game <laughs> all of uh, i guess it was like friday friday night and i was thinking to myself like this is basically a playable looney tunes cartoon um yeah like the characters <laughs> all feel it all feels like you're, you're coming straight out of a uh, like like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where the characters are all like they're fourth wall breaking, they're self deprecating. The comedy it's a little bit edgy by today's standards, unfortunately, so it hasn't aged particularly well across the board there. But then the characters are super kind of over the top violent. You know, no, nobody's dying; they kind of just poof into smoke and then disappear. Um, mm-hmm. But it does feel like you're playing a cartoon, and the eyes, like I said before, they're big googly eyes, which I think that's probably eye catching to kids. Um, they're very over the top animated. They squawk. They're loud. They're color. So you're literally playing like a Bugs Bunny or a like a Scooby-Doo cartoon or something or SpongeBob or something like that. And that's what it feels like playing. Unfortunately, it's it one one problem I or not really a problem, but I guess the only disappointing thing years later reading about this game is that when they were developing it, I think that they had as many as 16 levels that they had ideas for and they had to shave it down to nine. Uh, I'm sure a lot of those levels ended up in Banjo-Tooie, but mm-hmm. there's uh, the levels in the game that you can play are Spiral Mountain, Treasure Trove Cove, Clanker's Cavern, Bubble Gloop Swamp, Freeze Easy Peak, Gobi's Desert, Mad Monster Mansion, Rusty Bucket Bay, Clink Clock Wood, and Gruntilda's Lair being the final level. Mike, I'll, I'll start with you and then we'll go over to Josh. Mike, what, what's your favorite level from this game? What stands out to you? 
I mean, I, this is this is uh, it's gonna be a pretty boring answer, but honestly, for me, Spiral Mountain is what I think of when I think of Banjo Kazooie. It's what I associate with. It's the, the greenery, the 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 atmosphere of it coming into the game for the first time. Uh, Spiral Mountain is definitely uh, the the Banjo Kazooie. It's like the Green Hill Zone. It's the you know, it's 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 uh, it's the uh, Peach's Castle. Uh, kind of thing, Mushroom Kingdom. It's like that that World One One that you just associate with Banjo and with like with the franchise. And Spiral Mountain is that. I love that they brought Spiral Mountain into uh, Smash. Yeah. When uh, Banjo got uh, got added to the roster, that was really cool. But I mean, there's so many great ones. Like like honestly. I don't think any of them are bad. I really like Gobi's Desert because I love desert levels. And I like to see someone that's not Nintendo do a desert level really well because Nintendo does do des- desert levels great. You think of all the Marios. You think of the Mario Karts even as well. Uh, and there's always great uh, uh, great additions for desert stuff. But Gobi's Desert in Banjo is a, is a fantastic one. Uh, and, I mean, the Gruntilla's Lair is, is obviously a, a solid... Uh, ending. Uh, there's a couple of them I don't really remember that well. Like I personally don't remember Rusty Bucket Bay. I was I was kind of watching a bit of of footage of it. I was like, yeah, I like vaguely remember some of this, but it's it's been a while. Yeah, that one's kind of weird because it's it's very simple or it's very similar to a uh, Clanker's Cla- Cavern because it's just water and pipes and like yeah, old, like ships kind of. Clanker's Cavern is awesome. That that yes. shark in the middle of it is iconic. Kind of creepy too. That's a very creepy level. I'm a big fan of uh, Freeze Easy Peak. That's the snow level. Yep. I love winter levels in uh, in N64 games, especially. There's something about N64 snow levels that just bring back so many cool memories for me. I don't know why. I think it might just be because of uh, there's a bunch of them in Diddy Kong Racing and Mario Kart 64, which I played a lot as a kid, and they were always Christmas themed. And it's so cool. This one is like definitely on the nose, a Christmas uh, level. You go into the level by going through an advent calendar, which is just a huge childhood memory for me, getting advent calendars mm-hmm. in December, mm-hmm. opening every door leading up to Christmas is cool. Uh, it's got a it's got a sled race in there. It's got a giant snowman. It's got a Christmas tree. It's got it's got it all in there. It's got a, a walrus. No penguins. At least I don't think I'm trying to think now if there's any penguins in there. Missing that unfortunately, but it even gets kind of dark too. Like you go in right into the level right away. There's like this igloo setup. And you go inside and there's these uh, like little baby polar bears and they're crying because their dad went out to get get gifts and never came back. And I was like, my God, this is this. Did this dad leave this family? Like, what's going on here? Obviously, it doesn't get that dark. But I was like, damn, this is getting real dark for a kid's game. Um, the kid, You do eventually find the, the polar bear and bring him home and everything. And you collect their gifts to make them happy and everything. But that's a really fun level for me. You get to fly around it, around this giant snowman. And it's just such a cool, it's got such a cool vibe to it. I love Christmas levels in video games. What about you, Josh? Is there a, a level in this game that stands out to you? Yes. Uh, Treasure Trove Cove was... Yes. One of my personal favorites. It's one of the first ones I believe that you get where you can fly in the game. Yep, that's you the can one. Fly around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really loved that. I really, really loved that level. I also really like Mumbo's Mountain in general, just because the verticality of it. You know, mm-hmm. there is a, basically there's like two levels to it. You know, there's the the one you start off on, which you kind of start off on this raised like plateau sort of it kind of steadily goes down almost like steps and but then you know you have the on the bottom you have uh just a bridge where you can go across water which once again kind of teaches the player a little bit better more about how to control character in 3d environment as well as swimming especially it gives you an easy area to test out your camera controls as you get used to new areas too 
granted, a lot of that's done through Spiral Mountain, but I still think, it, like, since this is the first level outside of that, mm-hmm. you're no longer in the tutorial section. You now have, like, the first level level. And it also adds new mechanics to you on top of that. It's no, it's not just the stuff you learned at the in Spiral Mountain. This is also where Kazooie can now start pooping out le- eggs and yep. <laughs> shooting out eggs out of their mouth. Um, the collectathon kind of aspect starts to come up there too with Mumbo's Mountain. And you have to find mm-hmm. the five different Mumbo tokens so that way you can turn into an ant yep. and get up to the very top of the mountain. And that. That mechanic also, what I love is that you need to use a little thinking outside the box. In in that level, there is a once you get the the ground pound ability, there is a there is a Gruntilda pad that you have to jump on. You have to do the the body slam into, and what it does is it spawns a jiggy on top of Mumbo's Mountain, back in Gruntilda's lair, like yeah. on the outside of it. The only way you you can't get up there. Normally, like uh, in in this level, besides learning the ground pound, you also, like I said, uh, Kazooie can shoot eggs, but Kazooie also can learn to walk on their feet and Banjo will ride on their back. So that way you can walk up steep uh, hills and stuff like that. But you can't you can't run up the steep hill with Kazooie. It's still too steep. So what you have to do is you have to stay as the ant that Mumbo turns you into that you use to get to the top of the little spiral, like the little like ant hill. Well, it's not little, the, the ant hill in, in the top area of that level in the top of Mumbo Mountain. And you have to leave the level as the ant and then walk up to get it. Right. So it forces you like to think outside the box like, oh, like they, they intertwine with each other. They're right. not islands. You know, it's not like, you know, in Mario 64, and this is not a knock against the game, but like everything that happens in a level stays in the level. You yeah, generally right. don't bring stuff outside of it. And uh, this, you literally are bringing power ups outside of it. So that way you can get to other areas of Gruntilda's lair to get different jiggies or access different areas and all this other stuff, which is a really cool and fun idea for as a mechanic. And it, it kind of breaks the walls a little bit that you're used to used to thinking you're no longer just keeping everything that you get in a specific level. It doesn't, it no longer stays in that level. It kind of interacts with the larger world around it. Yeah, none of the levels exist in a vacuum, basically. And it is fun, like, when you hit a switch there or a button. Is. Yeah, uh, it is fun, though, like, when you hit a button or a switch in a level or in the uh, in the hub world. And it does, like, a mini, like, a two, three-second cutscene of a jiggy falling down yeah. or something. And my instant instinct sometimes, out loud, I'll be like, where the hell was that? Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where that is. And uh, it's funny because, like, everything, ha- like, you're not expecting it to happen, too. And, like, you blink and you miss it. And, like, it's just, like, a Jiggy Falls, like, on a hilltop somewhere. And it's usually in the hub world. Sometimes it's not. And I'm just like, wait, what? Can you? Can I play that again? I, didn't, I wasn't watching. It's like the Patrick thing. Do it again. I wasn't watching. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool. And that is, like, one of the things that I wish this game had, which is, a uh, like, a map. I would love a hub world map because I got lost so often going from level yeah. to level because you have mm. to open doors that are unlocked by the number of musical notes that you have. And then that takes you into a whole new area. And then you use the jiggies that you find to uh, complete paintings like Mario 64. And that gets you into the world. But you don't jump through those paintings the same way that you did in Mario 64. By completing those paintings, it opens usually a door or something somewhere else on the map. And you now have to go find that. And again, it's another situation where you see a door open in some room and i'm like where the hell was that i don't even i've never been there um so it it is a little bit of a treasure hunt in that sense and it did get kind of annoying constantly backtracking and going in the wrong area looking uh looking for 
the the, le- the next level that you're trying to play. You're trying to play the game by playing the game, basically. It's really weird. Um, so that was kind of frustrating for me. But I, I do like just going back to your favorite level there, Treasure Trove Cove. Uh, that level introduced something really cool that I hadn't really seen before in a 3D platformer in a 3D platformer before, and that was kind of having an NPC that would come after you, almost like Mr. X in uh, in Resident Evil. Uh, Treasure yeah. Trove Cove has Snackers the Shark, and yes. it's so creepy <laughs> because like you'll jump in the water and you hear the the Walmart brand Jaws music start playing, and you know Snackers <gasps> is coming for you. And the camera is so it no no the camera is so bad that I can't move it around to see where Snackers is coming from. And you can just, yeah. <laughs> you can hear him snapping his jaws and you can see his little speech bubble being like, yummy, yummy, you know, bear and a bird snack kind of thing. And you're just swimming like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You're just trying to get out of the water. It's so cool. I had to give a shout out to that in uh, in Treasure Trove Cove and Snackers the shark. Snackers the shark. Just just a classic. Hey, there's a there's a shark that follows <laughs> you around in Resident Evil 1 as well. So nice uh, Resident Evil. Yeah. It could be a, it could be a reference <laughs> to that, I guess. But yeah, no, uh, it, there's, there's so much like unique stuff in this game that you really wouldn't have pictured would be in there that's a great example the dialogue i think is maybe the best example of that where like it's kind of it's kind of snarky throughout the entire thing especially kazooie's dialogue is very snarky uh and and you're you kind of do uh realize that yeah this isn't necessarily just a kid's game like this is a one a challenging game at times for sure and two the the dialogue makes this uh this a little a little more adult for sure yeah, like it is, it, they do make references to, it's mainly just the way that they insult each other, honestly. That is a very, it's yeah. a very, it's a very British game in that sense. Like it's very much like taking the piss out of each other and hitting each other in the back of the knee kind of thing. And mm-hmm, growing yeah. up in a British family, it's really fun. And like you said, Mike, this game, it feels like it's, it's made by one person who had this one goal. It's not, it's made by a team of developers who obviously all like video games the same way. They added a lot of similar details into all of their games, specifically in Banjo-Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, and GoldenEye, the big head mode for some reason that was something that they all found hilarious and had to do you could all you could play all of these games with a giant head like just this random thing and they were all really into putting easter eggs in the game uh this game has lots of easter eggs there's a bunch of youtube videos dedicated to um like the reference in uh it's the in the rusty bucket bay one of the ships has uh twycross england written on it so it's a ship from their hometown which is really cool and just references to all these other things. The game even has a secret ending uh, where Mumbo Jumbo comes in and if you've completed the entire game, this is the 100% prize. Mumbo Jumbo shows you snippets from Banjo-Tooie. This game actually teases its next game, which I don't remember happening in the 90s. What a bold move. I know. Yeah. It's very cool. Wow. Yeah. It's just just in the game right there. Like that feels like something that on the schoolyard you'd hear someone say, "Oh, I 100% at Banjo Kazooie." They're making Banjo Tooie. You'd be like, "Shut the hell up! No way!" Like, exactly. That would, that would be the biggest <laughs> no way. You're wrong. You're lying, and everyone would just beat the hell out of the kid that says it. <laughs> I will say I I'm kind of here for big head mode. Oh yeah. I want more of that in games. I agree. I I, I like unironically. I think it's a really fun idea to be able to be silly in games like especially in like you know sports games man like i'm i'm sorry wasn't nhl like like ea's nhl a lot more fun when you could have big head mode where you or like in and saying like it was like madden or something like that where you could have big head mode where like the the ends the war the out of bounds areas would just warp you to the other side of the screen you could just like make these absurd rule sets with it it was so much more fun yeah objectively and now yes. it's just simulation <laughs> stuff which is fine but like there's a huge gap and like i feel like if you unless you 
don't want to buy into the microtransaction machine that is EA Sports games, or or you uh, just or if you don't like simulation games, then those games just really aren't for you. Like, there's no more just fun, goofy, weird. Uh, except in the indie space, the indie space is really the only place that's doing this now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of miss the era of like AAA games that were just doing things for the sake of being silly and not with so much like uh how can i start like almost cynical like almost like cynical intent you know like is it we're being silly just for you know to show a reason behind it or instead of just being silly like we just want to make a a, a dumb joke that only we laugh at like i kind of wish more developers would do that even if i don't find all of it funny yeah the triple a space these days takes itself way too seriously and you're right like in the 90s like it, it was it was possible to make games a joke and also very successful i can't think of too many games recently that did that very well unless it's made by like a private like an already existing franchise like the south park games are hilarious and self-deprecating but based on an existing franchise there was a recent game uh it was made by the guy who did rick and morty it was on xbox i think i'm trying to remember with the talking weapons oh uh, yeah 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 it's kind of in that vein where i feel like this is kind of something that would exist in the n64 someone <laughs> out there screaming the name of the game in their car while they're listening to this um but th- a game right like that your buds yeah right. they're just screaming on the train um no like games like that they come so infrequently because every other game is like this gritty serious sci-fi shooter or a sim racing sports game from the looks of it or it's a post-apocalyptic zombie last of us style game and a mm. game like banjo kazooie this was like a this would be probably if you own an n64 i think it was one of the only games you'd be playing for months you'd you, everyone would yep. pick it up and that's all they'd be playing there were no there weren't three dozen indie games coming out every single day and multiple games coming out by all these publishers this was it and you can get a ton of there's a ton of replayability out of this game it stretches itself out with all of the uh collectibles that you can find and all of the easter eggs that you can find by searching around and even the um the uh, bottles challenges which i never actually did i heard a bunch about those in reading for this show um but you can do a bunch of challenge missions as well and one of the things that you can unlock i think by beating the last one is that you can play most of if not the entire game as the washing machine which is just such a stupid thing what? that i yeah oh you know how mumbo jokingly turns you into a washing machine yeah, at yeah, times? yeah yeah there there is a way uh that you can play the entire game as that washing machine if you wanted to <laughs> <laughs> so many easter eggs thank you neil for for yeah. coming in with these the oh, schoolyard <laughs> uh uh rumors that turn out to be true that's yeah that's crazy. And I mean, Banjo, you know, has had this this life. It's also had Banjo-Tooie as well. And uh, the rest of Banjo after it was bought by Microsoft with nuts and bolts and things like that. Uh, Josh, where do you see Banjo going in the future? Uh, uh, do we do you see another nuts and bolts? Do you see Banjo 3? What's, uh, what's on the horizon? Well, I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, we were talking about Tears of the Kingdom earlier and that basically there were so many comparisons after that game came out to banjo kazooie nuts and bolts yeah yeah um, i've not played nuts and bolts so i can't say one way or the other like what if it was good or not or whatnot but um i don't know i don't really see platformers 3d platformers specifically uh, don't really make big money um as much as i wish they would uh, I would say the last one that, you know, the last really big AAA release that I can think of was the Ratchet & Clank one. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. It was uh, the one for a rift, PS5. Rift, rift Apart? Rift Apart. Yeah, something rift like apart? that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Rift Apart. Um, a Rift Apart, I think. Yep. No. Yeah, Rift yeah. Apart. Rift Apart, yeah. 
and I love that game. I love those series. I, I, I love that. That's my favorite series of all time. I just don't have a PS5, so I can't play it. But it really, I, I don't know if there's ever going to be another era. Like, it, it may come back. Um, it's always possible, you know, game genres change, you know, as we, as we've seen over there, as you know, like in the mid 2000s to like early 2010s, everything was call of duty. Uh, and everyone was trying, everyone wanted call of duty. Everyone was trying to be call of duty and then Fortnite came out and then everyone wanted to be a battle Royale and all this other stuff, you know, and then it keeps on morphing. There's going to be something new that comes out that like, captures everyone's imagination or really just captures the audience or the the gaming market at large it is just huge and then we'll have another bunch of trendsetters you know coming along with that so who knows maybe at some point uh 3d platformers that aren't mario i should say because they will always sell but 3d platformers that aren't mario will make a comeback again like from AAA studios there are there's been a lot of awesome stuff in the indie space that's yeah. been coming out uh, I actually, I, there was one I meant to watch at Games Done Quick, which is like a PS1 era, like 3D platformer. And I'm blanking on the name of it, but I'm all for it, man. Like, I, I, I love that now there's an era of game developers who grew up with the 3D platformer and, and are wanting to remake parts of their childhood for it, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. I'm, I don't, unfortunately, I don't see much with Banjo Kazooie, though, maybe with Tears of the Kingdom being so popular and all the co- comparisons to Nuts and Bolts. Maybe Microsoft will be like, well, oh, maybe it's not a bad idea. We'll do something, you know, and then they come out with Nuts and Bolts 2, and we all swear at once, basically, is what will end up <laughs> happening. But yeah, the indie space for 3D platformers, it's a good time for it. Like, yeah. I, I remember seeing a game called Kiwi 64 which was a game where you just play, it's literally a 64, uh, not bit, but what, what's a, a 64, I don't know, I forget why it's called 64 now, but uh, it's that style of graphics on PS4 and I think Xbox One and maybe Switch, but it looks like an N64 game and it's literally just a 3D collect-a-thon like Banjo-Kazooie and uh, Donkey Kong 64, came out a couple years ago. Also, the guys who uh, were a part of Rare, they founded Playtonic a couple years ago and came out yes, with Ukulele, Ukulele, which came out like to moderate reviews, it was for the most part, good. And I think they even made another, they made like a 2D version after that as well. And I played a bit of ukulele and it's fine. Like it's honestly okay. It's It didn't light the world on fire the same way that Banjo did, but it is too bad that there's nothing going after Mario's lunch, except for, like you said, Ratchet and Clank. Uh, but even like I was just looking up now, Sonic, which just came out last year, which is not a great game from what I could tell from all the Let's Plays of Sonic Frontiers. It sold 3.2 million copies as of March, 2023. That's not bad. Like, I think if, if you have a small studio, give them a year or two to come up with maybe an original idea or an existing IP like Banjo or bring back Glover or something random from that era. Uh, I think that you could you could definitely come out with something that could sell really well and get people that like... That was a pull. That was a pull. You could get people uh, like us who want to play something like what we played back in the day. Just a quick game. We can play nine worlds. It's it's all, it's got a hundred things to collect and it's got funny jokes and a, an interesting boss fight at the end. And then maybe a, a funny ending for collecting everything. And, and that's it. And come out with that every couple of years. It doesn't have to be, what was it, Mike? You said two dozen of the uh, 400 games on the console, but I mean, yeah. I would take six at this point, honestly, like I don't need maybe two, like, geez, give me anything. It's been six years since Mario Odyssey came out for God's sakes. Mm-hmm seems like nintendo and microsoft are doing 
quite well together. Uh, Banjo is now in Smash. We've got, I hope Banjo-Tooie comes to the uh, Nintendo Switch online service so we can get more Banjo love. Because I'm just going to keep these games on, on my Switch, so that they think yeah. that people really, really want it and they'll give us a, a ban- We'll finally get Banjo 3E that was teased to us 23 years ago. <laughs> Banjo 3E, thanks to Neil's 270,000 hours played on the N64. But uh, uh, Josh, it's been amazing having you on. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Banjo or the franchise before we let you go? Uh, I'm trying to think. There was like a couple points that I wanted to bring up before, but like we kind of moved on so quickly, and I don't remember <laughs> them anymore. <laughs> um, I, I I guess I would I would say to to kind of give my final thoughts in general on on the game is just that there's a reason it's still popular. Like I didn't grow up with this game, and I still liked it. I still think it looks visually great. I still think the gameplay mechanics overall hold up. I, I there's it. The gameplay types are so varied. They don't just, you know, there's a, sometimes you you run a risk when you have all those different transformations and you completely switch up the gameplay type. But I like the fact that they they keep it pretty straightforward for the most part with that. You know, they don't overuse that mechanic. So, yeah, I just think this game is great. It still holds up and it all, will always be to me what my favorite era of video games is and i'm not talking about era in terms of console or anything i'm talking about era in terms of my personal life in terms mm-hmm. of my personal life like the era of video games for me when i was 10 to 15 years old when i didn't understand game logic yet and every game that i played was the next biggest world that i've ever seen you know everything blew me yeah. away there was just so much to explore and and look around and collect and it just really epitomizes to me like that time in my life when like games were still truly mysterious and i really love that the game still kind of makes me feel that way that's a great point i mean i could not have said that better myself for sure it 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 is a it's a glorified platformer but also a glorious uh platformer ah. i would say yes uh, and makes you feel great and, and the, the charm of it just can't be overstated but uh we uh loved having you on josh we'll definitely have you back on the show again and before we let you go uh please uh, take this time and plug whatever you are currently working on i am the host of the still loading podcast a video game grab bag podcast that does a lot of weird shenanigans all over the place from game reviews and retrospectives to uh voice actor interviews and composer interviews and game developer interviews to um weird ideas like you know still loading story time which was dramatic readings of video game manuals and like all over the place that's why it's a grab bag so that's the still loading podcast uh, at the time this comes out my most recent episode will be on uh the sega sg 1000 which is a video game co- which was sega's first ever video game console it never huh. came out in north america it was huh. i believe japan only and i it might have come out in australia like in very sparsely but uh it it's a really underloved, underheard of system because it also came out on the same day in Japan, literally the exact same day in Japan as Nintendo's Famicom, or as we know it, the <laughs> Nintendo Entertainment System. So, wow, nice, get wrecked. It has been <laughs> overshadowed for quite some time. So, I always like to talk about stuff like that on my show. Uh, and then the episode I'll be having coming out this coming Sunday is Streets of Rage with. Nice. Uh, Chris Copeland from Retro Hangover and uh, Corey Carlson from My Life in Gaming, the YouTube channel, My Life in Gaming. So, awesome. yeah, if if you like game history and you like uh, random shenanigans like that, uh, that's the Still Loading Podcast. 
Awesome. Still Learning Podcast. Uh, amazing stuff over there. Please do check it out when you get a chance. Uh, 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 we've been on uh, the podcast as well uh, before. I need to get uh, you back on. It's been like two years. I think the last episode yeah. you both were on was my um, Game Boy Advance episode. Oh, I yeah. couldn't even get you on for the game. It was at the literally the, the GameCube <laughs> episode was at the worst possible timing for both of you. I think both of you personally, you're like going through a lot of life transitions and podcast transitions. Yeah. So I just it, it couldn't happen. So I, I need to get you back on the show. Yeah, it's not your fault at all. Like, I'm, I know you message me from time to time. You're like, hey, do you want to come on for this game? And I'm like, I have never played it. So it's uh, it's it's a lot of that. But yeah, you I, just a funny joke here. You've been still you've been loading for a very long time, Josh. I'm just checking out your your uh, page right now. You're on episode 270, still loading. Still loading. And I guess you'll be hitting the big 300 this year, right? If you, you put out an episode on average once or twice a week. So you're going to hit it real soon, no? No, it'll be March of next year. Is- oh, damn. That's exciting, though. Next year is going to be wild, though. I have my 300th episode in March of next year, and I have my 10-year anniversary next year. Jeez. Damn. That's, yeah. that's, that's really Congratulations. Impressive. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Is it impressive, or is it just that I have nothing better to do? <laughs> <laughs> Let's stay on the optimistic side here and say that it's optimistic. Definitely believe in yourself. You are doing a great job. You're, you have a great show. We'd love to come back on. When you talk about a game that uh, that we've played, well, that'd be fantastic. But thank you so much again for taking the time to join our show today. And happy Father's Day to you, by the way. It was, Father's Day was just last weekend, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. And uh, we hope to have you back on the show again real soon. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time, as always. And uh, hopefully you won't mind me pestering you to come back on in the future sometime. <laughs> Anytime, man. See you later. See ya. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining the show today. Josh from the Still Loading Podcast. Uh, definitely a great podcast to check out. Go support his Patreon so you can also uh, uh, get some still bonding uh, where they talk about James Bond, talking about uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, which uh, I only really know that movie from Nightfire, to be honest, because that's where the Atlantis scene mm-hmm. is or the, the location is from, as well as the underwater submarine level, too. So that's how I know <laughs> The Spy Who Loved Me. But uh, yeah, Josh, I love having him on, love talking about uh, some banjo and uh, kind of getting his take on it. And interesting to hear that he actually didn't play this back in the day, that he really has his memories from from uh, more recent, like you, Neil. Yeah, I love that, that, that point that he said. He played this game only, he thought, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, and he still loves this game, loves it for what it is, and takes him back to the 90s, which it yeah. does that for me, too. I love finding stuff like that, that even even though I didn't grow up with something or even for things that I wasn't even alive for, like when I watch things from the 80s, it does bring me back to a time that I didn't even experience. Yep. Video games, music, movies, they're all incredible works of art that can do that. They, they're literally time capsules that can, or time machines that can take you back. And it's, it's really fun. And Banjo is definitely one of those games, like we said, one of the best games on the N64. And Josh made a very interesting point there about the Jinjo collection and how he doesn't understand or he didn't uh, necessarily agree with needing five Jinjos necessarily to uh, to collect a Jiggy piece. And I think that we can take that practice into everyday life, Mike. And I don't really understand why I need to go to work five days a week to receive a paycheck. I think maybe I can uh, take this to my boss and say, look, you know, I collect five Jinjos in Banjo-Kazooie to get the Jiggy. I don't need to do another set of five to complete another task. So I think I could probably start coming in three or four days a week and uh, still receive my paycheck. What do you think? I've gotten good enough at this now. I don't need the five Jinjos. I can right. I can streamline it. I can streamline my success. I agree, I, Neil. 
I can stretch it with three. I don't need five anymore. This, <laughs> let's get this thing moving a little quicker, you know? I support you on that one. I Thank you. definitely support you fully. And, <laughs> and I will bring up – I will uh, put Banjo on a big screen and show everyone and, and, and make them understand why uh, why this works. But Make a 60-slide make a PowerPoint on company time about why that point makes sense. But I'm honestly very upset that Croc <laughs> HD remaster is actually in the works and Banjo remaster isn't. That's That's legitimately <laughs> infuriating to me just to know that that's real. Yeah, that's upsetting. That's upsetting. But there's hope, Neil. GoldenEye exists. GoldenEye is on the N64 and well, yeah. is, has online capabilities. So if that can happen, honestly, I feel like the sky's the limit. But we'll talk about that later on. The, we'll talk about that mm. at the end of the episode with our, our classic future of Banjo. Where do we see it going? Uh, we'll, we'll have a whole big 40-minute uh, discussion on that, I'm sure. But uh, Great. before we do that, we do have a second guest of the show, and we're really excited to have her back on. It's friend of the show, Quinn, who is last on for the Spyro episode on the GameCube. It was cool to talk about the Purple Dragon. But now, Quinn, the N64 is what is cool here. And before we talk about the, uh, the bear and the bird, we got to ask you to please describe to us how you would hold your N64 controller. This is so surprising to me because I don't remember it having three prongs. And <laughs> interesting. I don't think I brought the third prong into play. I just, one hand on either side, two pointer fingers on the, on the rim. On the so, rim. <laughs> so you didn't hold the middle prong on the N64 controller? You nope. held left and right? She's chaos mode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never met one. I love it. I love it. I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> but of course, we did talk, want to bring you on to talk about uh, Banjo-Kazooie and the N64. But before we actually talk about Banjo himself, uh, when did you first get an N64? And what was your first game for it? I actually first got an N64 a few years ago. Actually, Marty Thompson, or Marty Redacted, I don't know if we do last names <laughs> on this show. <laughs> Marty gave it to me. I don't know if it was for my birthday or what, but I didn't have one when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Did he give you just the console, like no cables? He just gave you just the brick and nothing else and you had to go find everything else for it? Or did he, was he nice enough to gift you a game as well? He, okay, I'll say this. He gave me the console. He set it up for me. I could never unplug it because if I did, I <laughs> could never get it to work again. <laughs> True. But he gave me Mario Kart... And I thought that he had given it to me to keep, but it turned out he just gave it to me to borrow for a period of time. So he gave me no games, but I, I, I bought Donkey Kong 64. That was my first game. Mm, nice. Okay. Very nice. Very similar to Banjo-Kazooie there. I was going to yeah. say, we, we've, we've already kind of talked about Donkey Kong 64 a little bit. Uh, on this uh, on this show, uh, just because it is, yeah, similar to, to Banjo for sure. And then, so then when did you actually end up playing Banjo? Well, I played it when I was a kid. My babysitter had a Nintendo 64. And when all the big kids left for the day, I would get to play games because they never really wanted to play with me because I sucked so bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was the second game I got when I, when I started playing the N64 as an adult. And it is my second favorite, unfortunately, to Donkey Kong. But yeah, you're right. They are very similar. Made by the same people, of course, made by Rare, uh, and uh, it, the same kind of collect-a-thon, collect uh, the whole uh, platforming, all very similar for sure. And, uh, and it's got the charm as well. It's got that, uh, that special charm that Rare would, was putting into all their games on the N64. 
Exactly. And you had the you had the uh, benefit of playing Donkey Kong 64 first and then Banjo-Kazooie. So uh, you were already fairly familiar then with the 3D platformer collectathon style game. When you picked up Banjo, did you kind of already know what to do right away or did you find yourself getting lost in the map or were you just right hit the ground running collecting jiggies and musical notes? I hit the ground running. Let me tell you, <laughs> this is the best game style for me because I, you know, hearkening back to Spyro, the best possible thing that you can do in any game is just be a little cute guy, little little creature who runs around and has to collect those shiny little objects. And you know what? In this game, the fact that they're also cute little guys a lot of the time that you have to collect just makes it even more special. So yeah, uh, yes, Neil, to answer your question, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Perfect. You you speed you sped run the game in like thirty minutes. You just right ran right through it. You knew exactly what you're doing. You're barrel rolling through everybody, knocking over bottles and uh, collecting gingos. That's that's perfect. <laughs> well, actually, funny enough, no, I did not. In fact, barrel through the game because I've never been able to finish it. Even as an adult, I, I'm <laughs> my skills are so bad that I I can't finish a game because I. I get stuck. I inevitably get stuck. Totally fair. And do you remember where you would have gotten stuck then? What, what, how far did you get, if you can remember, in Banjo? I got pretty far. I think I unlocked all of the worlds. But my biggest downfall is anything that has to do with swimming in a mm, game. Yep. It, it confounds me. I can't. I always run out of, out of oxygen and then I, I die. <laughs> There is a lot of swimming in this game, uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's unfortunate because swimming is probably the worst part of the game. Uh, Mike and I have talked a lot in the past about swimming levels, and some games are completely targeted at swimming as a mechanic. And with a game like Banjo, it's an older game. It's uh, They were trying to figure out camera camera controls and everything and following Banjo and Kazooie when you're underwater is a pain in the ass and they do try and alleviate the problem by adding air bubbles that kind of pop up from mm-hmm. fish and pipes and everything that you can swim through to get more air but you might be at the wrong angle and you have no perspective and it's hard to tell if the bubble is far away or close and you completely swim right past it and then you drown and it's yeah. like the most frustrating thing so I'm glad that I'm not alone because that was definitely something that uh, I found difficulty when playing the game this week. How about you Mike? Did you enjoy the swimming levels in this game? They're not great. I mean, <laughs> but like, like no underwater levels are. And and I'm trying to think, were, were there underwater levels in Spyro ever? I don't think so. Yeah. But by the same coin, there's a lot of flying in Spyro, right. which is similarly awful. Yeah, because underwater is really like the way that the underwater levels and flying levels are developed is basically the same way. Like the world is moving around you rather than you moving inside the world. Uh, And that's kind of why, especially like 25 years ago on these consoles, that's why they don't work too well. You think of Superman 64 as an example, Neil, of a a flying game gone wrong. I mean, it's the same way for underwater stuff too, right? And it just, it's, it's, especially when it's 3D, it never really... Uh, it can never really bring out the best parts of the game, especially in something like Banjo-Kazooie, where the best parts are definitely being able to use all your power-ups, like do some some crazy jumps, have fun with uh, with the characters. Like you can't really do that underwater, so that it definitely kind of loses its charm when it when you get to those levels. And especially using Kazooie, uh, with the using Kazooie's legs to run faster. Like I feel like I used Kazooie as my legs throughout most of the game because it's just <laughs> you use. 
it or her, and uh, you can you move so much quicker, and you can run up hills and jump higher and farther. And even flying, I, I think flying in Banjo Kazooie is definitely. I'd rather fly than swim in this game for sure, because yeah. with with flying, at least not maybe not Superman sixty four, but at least with Banjo Kazooie, you at least have the option to fall and hover to the ground and then kind of start again. With swimming, you just kind of float there and drown. Uh, you can't. You don't float back to the surface if you don't do anything. If you don't do anything, you just hover there, and it's frustrating because even sometimes you have issues. Like, where do I go? Like, am I supposed to go straight down, up? I don't know. And then, and then you have to restart the level again and start collecting jiggies from scratch. So yeah. definitely flying uh, over swimming for sure. And there are a ton of uh, of moves you can do in the game. There's like a dozen moves or so. And there's also several characters that you can uh, morph into, transform into. And uh, Quinn mentioned the ability to play the game as a cute little bear and his uh, his, his his friend, a, a bird, a kazooie. I don't know what the hell it's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, but you also have the ability to transform into a termite, a crocodile, a walrus, a pumpkin, a bee, and briefly a washing machine. Uh, Quinn, did you have a favorite uh, transformation that Mumbo Jumbo turned you into? I did like being the ant. I, <laughs> I, I love being the ant. I love the way that the ant like kind of dances when you stop moving. Yeah. And his little feet sounds. <laughs> they have the best like keep like why aren't you playing animations. Like even if you're playing as Banjo, uh, Kazooie will come out of the backpack and start pecking you in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that is just adds to the charm though right like i i love stuff like like that i i personally don't like remember the ant too much because i i think i mostly did crocodile i think that was my my go-to transformation mm-hmm. i liked being the bee you get to like buzz around and everything it was fun it's funny it's funny how many people think that you transform into an ant in banjo kazooie the first trend that's the first transformation in uh what's it spiral mountain it's actually a termite it's not a it's not an ant oh really yeah it's credited. Oh. He's credit. His character is credited as a termite, which is interesting. Blowing Quinn's mind. I know. I feel like I knew that on some deeper level. I don't know why it just isn't an ant. I don't know why they had to get. I feel like a termite is just a little too uh, obscure for uh, for this type because everything else is pretty pretty standard. Crocodile, walrus, pumpkin, bee, termite. Like just make it an ant. Termites also have a very negative connotation. Like. You know, an ant's just a little ant, but like a termite is, it's it's breaking down walls, it's causing structural damage. You know, uh, poor poor banjo has uh, some kind of termite infestation in his house, like. And when you transform, when you go to Mumbo Jumbo, uh, sometimes, like I said before, he does turn you into a washing machine as a joke. He also says, "I'm going to turn you into a T-Rex." And then you spin around a bunch of times and poof, you don't turn into a T-Rex. And he laughs and says, no, no, wait, that's too cool. I'm going to save that for the next game. And then he does. You turn into a T-Rex in Banjo-Tooie, which is, we talked about uh, this with Josh with the post credit scene, how you get, to, they, te- they tease Banjo-Tooie in the post credits. They also tease Banjo-Tooie in the game itself, which is really cool and fourth wall breaking, which is awesome. There's also a lot of characters, too, some great eclectic characters that you can uh, uh, meet along the way. Uh, there's people like Bottles, the, uh, the the little mole. You have Tootie, Banjo's younger sister, who basically just acts as a plot device and nothing more. Uh, we, we have uh, Nipper. We have Cheeto. We have uh, Mumbo Jumbo, Gruntilda, the, the witch, of course. Uh, any characters stand out to you, Quinn, that you really remember fondly from this game? Mm, I love the crab. He's so oh. creepy and weird. The giant crab on the beach? Yeah, I don't know if that's even a character, but I just thought he was so strange and, and wobbly and, like, drunkenly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's Nippers. Nippers the crab. 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that word really yeah. being used in this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I also love the guy who says Inka Boka. Isn't that Mumbo Jumbo who talks like that? <laughs> the tiki guy? I'm pretty sure they all sound like that. The <laughs> it's hard to be like, oh, the guy that sounds like Iku Ruku. And it's like, that's all of them. That's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you, you're talking about Mumbo Jumbo with the mask and everything. And he's yeah, like, I think so. uh, yeah. Was that something that kind of threw you off when you were like hearing them all like, like speak this like backwards kind of style? Or you're just like, ah, I guess I'll just go with it. I, 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 I love the whimsicality of games like this so i it doesn't really throw me off it just adds to the the weirdness and the like why would they ever not have something so strange like everything else is so bonkers that it just fits for some reason that that voice that those voices fit the world too like it just makes yeah. sense for some reason i can't imagine the game i certainly can't imagine the game with actual voice actors that's for sure <laughs> um and it was obviously probably done due to limitations with the n64 cartridges putting full voice acting on the on the uh, n64 cartridges just did not work so it was a really cool workaround that they did with that and it's funny because banjo kazooie actually appeared on diddy kong racing uh, a few years before Banjo-Kazooie even came out. Same thing with Conker. Conker is in Diddy Kong Racing years before Conker's Bad Fur Day. And when you pick Banjo's character in Diddy Kong Racing, he does talk and he sounds like a like a southern, he's got a wicked southern accent. He goes like, I'm Banjo. And then that's basically, and he goes, Hoo-hoo! he's very like goofy-like and it's funny. And then when they finally come out with the game, he doesn't sound anything like that. So it's cool how the character went through went through that transformation. I don't know who or how he would even sound at this point. I think you just have to keep it with that backwards, forwards, I don't even know how to describe it, sound effect that they used. It's really funny. But the actual voice boxes or the text boxes that they used for the characters, there's a lot of reading in this game, obviously, but it's 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 at a second grade level, so I got through it. I'm, I'm not a smart man, but I can read Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, I did really appreciate Gruntilda's dialogue because everything she said rhymes, which was very clever. I love that. Yeah, her dialogue was really fun. I mean, all the dialogue is really nice. Like, like Kazooie's, I don't know if you remember Kazooie's, um, Quinn, but uh, Kazooie is always, like, very snarky and kind of, like, giving ba- Banjo sh- every time uh, he does something. Yeah, he's a personal fave. He's a personal fave. Kazooie just... The- <laughs> and, like, Kazooie and Bottles had, like, beef the entire time. Like, she would call uh, Bottles, like, uh, what, what was she called? Like, not bottle's face but some making fun of his glasses Mm -hmm. and like living below the earth and he'd call her like bird brain and beak breath or whatever no one likes each other in this no they all hate (laughs) each other but they all live so close to each other and they all look they all look so friendly but none of them are actually very friendly it's it's actually the bigger scarier creatures are actually kind of more friendly like clanker that giant shark that eats all of gruntilda's garbage is like one of the more friendlier things like you pop out some of his rotten teeth and he thanks you for it and everything (laughs) like he's actually the most he's the creepiest character but also the most friendly character in the entire game but all the levels in this uh, game are bursting with personality and charm and detail and puzzles and everything. There's nine worlds in total. You play Spiral Mountain, Treasure Trove Cove, which is like the beach, Clanker's Cavern, which is the one with uh, Clanker, the giant shark, Bubble Gloop Swamp, which is the one that's just very dark for me, Freeze Easy Peak, which is your Christmas level, Gobi's Desert, which is of course a desert, Mad Monster Mansion, which is basically the Scooby-Doo level, as I call it, Rusty Bucket Bay, which is kind of like an old shipyard kind of thing. It's really cool. Clink Clock Wood, which is like a, a clock level. It's in the middle of the woods. Really cool. Different areas that you'd go into. And then finally, Gruntilda's Lair, which is uh, where you play that final trivia game show and boss fight, of course. 
Oh, wow. Spoiler alert. I've never made it to the trivia game show. <laughs> it's an interesting way to end the game, for sure. Like, you end up just kind of looking up the answers, because I don't remember what everybody said 20 hours ago, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the one, the ship, the ship one, the shipyard. Rusty um, Bucket Bay. Although I find it really easy to get lost in some of the levels, because things look so similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I usually just, I wait until I stumble upon something and I'm like, well, I haven't seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I think I like that one the best. It's cool that in a game that feels like by today's standards so small, every level has those little hidden secrets. Like there's a, a hole that you didn't climb into, or there's a chest that you didn't open yet, or there's like a, a cave somewhere that you didn't explore yet. It's, we talked a lot about like comparing this game to Tears of the Kingdom, which Mike and I are both playing right now, the new Zelda game. That's like this vast open world with lots of hidden secrets and things to explore. This game is a fraction of the size of that, but somehow it captures that same feeling of exploration. And that's what I love about it. I mean, that's why I love Banjo. That's why I like, I, that's why I think like someone like Quinn loves trying to collect all the things too, because that, that gives you a, a, a sense of exploration for sure. Just like Spyro, just like any of these kind of uh, platformer collectathons. It's like the, you're always looking for that, uh, that last piece of the puzzle, so to speak. Mm, literally. I know. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that the levels are missing though, for me and, uh, Quinn even said it there. She didn't actually get to like the final boss or she didn't get to the final trivia game, which is a really interesting way to end a game because in the 90s, everybody knows the game has to end with a big boss fight. That's how Mario ends. That's how Mega Man and Castlevania and Zelda and all the previous games end. You got to have boss fights. Uh, This game for me is I would love to have a few more of those types of uh, bosses. I know that every world kind of has like a mini boss sort of, but Mm -hmm. it would be cool to have more of the big boss fights like what you get in Donkey Kong and uh, Conquer as well. Uh, Quinn, is there anything about the game that you might want to see change or improved on if uh, if they were to go back and do Banjo again? Mm. Well, first of all, I disagree. I prefer a no boss fight game because... (laughs) It's a barrier for me to finishing the game, and that so I also haven't finished uh, Donkey Kong sixty four because the boss fights are too difficult, even for mm. me as an adult. Maybe make it optional to skip them. Then that might be good. <laughs> like you pay yeah. Jiggies to skip them. You just like pay the money and be like, go away. Yeah, and then you can skip them. I think that'd be actually a good idea. Jiggies in in a perfect <laughs> world, perhaps. But what what would I change about Banjo Kazooie? I don't know. Maybe don't make the villains ugly. I don't know. There's a weird thing like when he steals his sister, when she steals his sister and then, I mean, wouldn't it be enough for, for the witch to just steal the sister and not have to make her like an ugly monster? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just steal her, kidnap her or just, yeah. I mean, just put her away somewhere. Lock her up in the tower like the Shrek you know, storyline, do that. It's such I don't like know a... what the, the point I'm trying to make here is, but <laughs> I don't know if she had to make the sister ugly. That's that's what you would change, is the, the, <laughs> the, the, the plot. <laughs> if Gruntilda was already beautiful, though, there'd be no reason for any sort of conflict. She wouldn't steal Banjo's sister, and uh, you'd, be, you'd be left to do nothing at all. So it's weird that that is a trope, though. It's too bad that she didn't have some other reason to to go after their their little world and steal 2d away or just for 2d take like like 2d I, it would actually be cool if 2d had a, a, like a bit more of a some reason to exist in this story like True. she literally just is existing to have the witch steal her like that's uh that's all 
I think she might have a bigger role in Banjo-Tooie. I could be wrong. I definitely need to play Banjo-Tooie. Um, that's definitely something that's missing. Uh, it is cool, though, in the game. If you uh, if you quit, you save and quit the game, you end up watching a pretty long cutscene. The game oh, only God. has a few cutscenes, <laughs> and it's mainly in the beginning and if you save and quit. And instead of going back right back to the menu, they basically add this dungeon lab thing that Gruntilda has made that turns 2D ugly and then turns Gruntilda beautiful. And I then... hate that. I hate that thing. I hate it. <laughs> it's a weird thing to do. I don't know why they don't just make it. It's fun. It's. I wish you can't even really skip it. I don't think you have to watch it every single time, and it's a solid no, three or I five think minutes. You can skip it. Maybe I was you trying just to like watching it, Neil. Maybe. Yeah. I, I save and quit every day. I've never actually played the game. I just keep quitting. Um, but it is weird that like that's what that like you can't go back to your other save file quickly. You can't go back to the hub world. You have to keep quitting and then watching this weird cutscene over and over and over again and poor Tootie has to get transformed into basically Shrek <laughs> every time mm-hmm. the only thing that I could think of in terms of like I wish that they had done this is that knowing Rare they're obviously very well known for making Goldeneye and Perfect Dark very good shooters shooting the eggs in this game can be a little bit frustrating because I can't necessarily tell where I'm aiming at and it'd be cool if they just added an aiming reticle like that's all I want while I'm aiming Kazooie or I'm farting eggs out the backside, <laughs> I would I like, like to be, be able, able to just like see where I'm pointing because sometimes I was just missing my target completely. And uh, that got a little bit frustrating, but that's fair. Did, did you have any problems with the aiming for this game then, Quinn, with the eggs? I mean, I think I just I'm so blissed out when I'm playing the game. that <laughs> It doesn't really matter. You do a pacifist run. Yeah, <laughs> there's just there's not a lot of urgency in the game. Like there's no True, real. Yeah. Well, there is sometimes, but you know, most of the time we're just kind of like, eh, we'll see where it goes. It's a very chill game to play, and yeah. one of the best parts about the game for me, and I'm sure for you, Quinn, that I just want to talk about as one of our last points here is the music. What do you think about the music in this game? <laughs> I love the music. <laughs> Yeah. I love the music. I, I, the music makes the game. The music is the game. Mm-hmm. The music is the lifeblood of the game, Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. That's what I believe. I can't remember any of the songs except for that one I just did. <laughs> You're totally right. The game would not be the same without it. It would be so empty. I love it. Grant Kurthope is the composer for the game. He's a fantastic video game music composer. He does newer games too. I think he does the soundtrack for the Civilization games and the new Mario Rabbids games as well. He also did like Conquer and I think Ukulele too. So really talented uh, in, in his musical skills. I also like in each level, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but just about every level has an ability if you can find it to alter the sound. It, like if you go underwater, the sound sounds different. If you yeah. go high up, the sound, the music sounds far away. It almost sounds like that there is actually a band playing in the level. And if you do a certain thing, it it affects the way you hear you hear the music. Did uh, did you guys ever notice that? Like when you're flying or swimming? Yeah, I guess I noticed it, but I wasn't really conscious of it. That it's pretty seamless the way that they right the way that they do that. I was gonna say like I think the 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 goal is actually for us not to notice it. Right. Like it's it's basically that the the music is kind of always playing and it's almost as if it's part of the world. You think of like when music is in a movie and then it's actually like coming from the character's car uh, or something and they, they, they change the radio station. That's kind of how I feel like with Banjo. It's very encompassing and very much part of the game itself rather than just like someone slapped a soundtrack on a game and it's like, OK, here we go. Like, we'll figure it out. But it feels like every note in that score has a purpose and it's i can't think of a game that's more iconic for its music than banjo 
Yeah, it's up there. And I think every song includes the banjo, too, which is awesome. Not too many games featuring the banjo, which is too bad. But... Or a kazoo. No, or a kazoo. That's a rare <laughs> instrument to uh, to master, yeah. for sure. But... <laughs> oh, but yeah, uh, banjo, obviously uh, an all-time game, one of our favorites for sure. And, uh, and I know one of yours as well, Quinn. So is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, the bird and the bear before we let you go? I... I think I've said all I need to say about the second best game of all time. Second best game of all time. And have you played Banjo-Tooie? Or are you, have you just played the second best game of all time? You know, I I don't think I've played Banjo-Tooie. Interesting. Yeah, that's... I haven't either, and I feel like it's like I had Rare Replay on Xbox. I never jumped into Tooie. I, I think I'm just waiting for it now on uh, Switch. That's... That's when I'll definitely play it. I heard it's not as good as Banjo-Kazooie. It's bigger, it's a little bit more, uh, I don't know, I think it's just the problem was that the levels just got a little bit too big and too complicated, and people much preferred the simplicity, I think, of Banjo-Kazooie. So, yeah, uh, maybe when it comes to the Switch, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to have you back on and we'll play it with you. We'll revisit. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just chill out and play some banjo and collect some jiggies. But uh, Literally the instrument banjo. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Gordon, it's been awesome having you on again. Uh, we love uh, talking to you about some of these, these games from back in the day. And uh, we hope to see you again real soon. Bye. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you so much, Quinn, for coming on today. We really appreciate it, as always. Uh, so much fun talking to her. I, I love Quinn's sound effects. She she nails it. She's a, uh, uh, She should just become a, a Foley artist for um, uh, for Banjo and for uh, N64 games that come to the Switch. Because, you know, Conqueror's Bath for a Day is bound to come on. Uh, oh, yeah. And I'm sure she could do some really funny voices for for those guys too. But yeah, uh, uh, always interesting um, when we get to talk to someone who did play it back in the day and it kind of had early memories like me. So she actually, it's funny because Josh followed an almost exact replica of what you did, Neil, where you picked it up much later in life. And Quinn followed what I did where she uh, played it uh, very young um, at a uh, babysitter's. And for me, it was at, uh, at my friend's house and you know, remembered a little bit of it, but not that much. And but did remember the music and really uh, associate the music with it. And then we ended up playing it later on an N64 or on a Switch. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that Quinn and I had that same um, uh, that same kind of experience with the game. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's just been awesome hearing everyone's memories, everyone's fun facts, everyone's Easter eggs. Uh, it's been a great time so far, Neil. Yeah, I love having people come on. It's been great. It was great talking to Josh, who has a really big technical. Uh, technical knowledge of video games and then having Quinn on who's much more casual but I like that because it's fun how when we bring on the more casual fans when it's it's I don't know if you've noticed this but when we ask them is there anything you like to change about the game the answer is almost always nothing or I don't know yeah and that's just because like the game they wouldn't they, maybe they don't know what to change or how they would change it but also that the game is just they love it just the way it is they don't look at games as what would I change about this they just accept it for what it is and love it and yeah. it's her favorite second favorite game of all time which <laughs> I really love that and I wish I could could look at games more like that too but every time i play something i always think of something else that i would do to make it make yeah, it better unfortunately we are cursed but uh yeah there are just i mean banjo kazooie as much as i do love it and i do have fond memories of it even though i never played much of it back in the day i feel like i did it's weird i think it's mm -hmm. just because when i was a kid i got all of these platformer uh mascots mixed up so easily especially not having a playstation <laughs> i always thought i think i can remember thinking seeing Banjo-Kazooie and Crash Bandicoot, thinking that they were the same games, uh, just sure. because they both look like, you know, brown, orangey bears, even though I know 
Crash is a bandicoot, but being a Canadian kid, I didn't know what the hell a bandicoot was. So (laughs) he was basically a bear, coyote, wolf dog to me, or a fox. So anyway, Mike, we are the... Mike, the phone lines have gone silent for the day, so that is all the callers that we have. So I think that it's time that we hit the back of the case of Banjo-Kazooie and then uh, move on to our closing thoughts. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. <clears throat> Sorry about that, Mike. My uh, my voice got a little uh, got a little frog in my throat there. I don't know what that was all about. You sounded weird. I know that was weird. I hope that doesn't happen again ever. But uh... Banjo Kazooie, action and puzzles and bears. Oh my! Trouble brews when Gruntilda the witch captures the unbearably beautiful cub Tootie. But before the grizzly hag can steal the bear's good looks, Big Brother Banjo and his fine-feathered friend Kazooie join forces to stop her. Combining their 24 moves and special powers, Banjo and Kazooie will fend off armies of beasts. Bear and Bird must hunt down the 100 puzzle pieces and 900 musical notes that will ultimately lead them to Gruntilda. However, miles of swamp, desert, and snow, and one bear of an amazing adventure stand in their way. It's interesting that they actually call out the numbers for those things, like 24 different moves, technically, uh, uh, 900 different music pieces. Uh, I'm not sure, as a kid or an adult, reading reading the back of that case, if that would enthuse me to buy this game anymore. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like, what is the, uh, like, there's no context for what that means. No. Like, what, 900 puzzle, or 100 puzzle pieces, 900 musical notes, what does this mean? But you also got to remember, this is 1998, and you don't have the ability to look up what is included in this game. So people didn't have mm. the, people, you really had to tell people what was on the back, or what was in the games so that they would be able to buy it, like... Uh, it would be weird now to read a game that tells you how many moves you can do. Like, was anybody like, oh, it's got 24 moves? No, I only play games with 25. Like, I don't (laughs) think anybody ever said that. But they had to be pretty upfront about what was in the game. And with a a puzzle platformer or with a 3D collect-a-thon platformer, uh, that can be a hard thing to... um, I guess to uh, illustrate just what the case and the the really cool photos that they have on the back here with all these interesting looking characters. Uh, they've also got some bullet points in there with some of the things that you can do. But yeah, I do like how they uh, they quantify the game with all the things that you can collect. It's really funny. Love the cover as well. Uh, mm. Classic. I mean, uh, we're, this is our first N64 game that we've covered, of course. And, uh, and so we get our horizontal... Uh, looking cover for mm. uh, for this game instead of the the classic vertical. Probably the only system that ever really went for the full landscape view. I mean, of course, we had lots of jewel cases and stuff uh, for consoles that were just a, an easy square. But yeah, N64 being the, the landscape view really created some interesting covers and interesting designs because you did have that, that extra space on the left and right rather than top and bottom. Uh, and, and this one, I do love it. It's got Banjo and Kazooie, of course, uh, running away, uh, trying to catch the puzzle piece and uh they also have uh, the witch in the background gruntilda is there uh and very prominent also I'm, I'm i might add like like really prominent on this despite not knowing who this is but i guess this kind of eschews the idea of like this is kind of a fairy tale uh this is some sort of 
like some sort of take on on a fairy tale Snow White, like you said before. Uh, so I, I I think it's a it's a good choice, and I I love I love the 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 case or the, uh, the box uh, for this. It's it's so colorful, it's so beautiful. Yeah, the cardboard box. I love this one too. This is one of the game the box arts that I really think of. Like when someone says N sixty four, I think the Banjo Kazooie box art. Yeah. Uh, I said it before. This is one of the games that I think of when I think of uh, the N sixty four. It's weird that he's. It looks like he's kidnapping a Jinjo. Like yeah, it almost looks like it looks like he's stealing the witch's kid. Like she's coming yeah. after him because he's getting away with her child or something. Yeah. Um. But it it does make it look like a storybook kind of fairy tale esque uh, story with you've got this little. Uh, tiki guy in the left hand corner you've got the witch that looks like the witch from the wizard of oz in there and uh you've got the bird uh, kazooie smiling big because uh it's a she right kazooie i think the idea is that it's supposed to be a girl bird i guess i think so yeah but i just yeah. always say it i just like just go yeah. for kazooie as as an object clearly wow i know that's uh, that's, that's not very very, very non-welcome menial. how sorry. dare you mike how dare you yeah i'm not sure i can't remember now if they address it but i always thought kazooie was meant to be a girl bird but mm. who knows who knows but uh mike uh as is tradition with our uh, video game reviews here, we got to go back and review a review from back in the day. And I found one here uh, from 2003, so five years after Banjo-Kazooie came out. I'm not sure if this was a Xbox review. I think it was because most people were uh, most people that reviewed N64 games were pretty kind to those games. It's time to review that review. But we have a review here from Gabor A, who gave the game a 2, and uh, they say, An unbelievably long scavenger hunt and nothing more. The equivalent of solving a puzzle in your house and having to look for the pieces. That's it. That's it, eh? One out of 18 users found that review helpful. <laughs> yeah, I want to find that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so do they not understand what this game is? I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> it seems it seems like not maybe go do a review for banjo kazooie nuts and bolts and then come back to me yeah no i i'm not i mean like it's not a great review i had to really look for uh some negative reviews here on the game most gave it nines and tens so not a very fleshed out review and i can see where people could, were coming from with this one it, it's it that's just the type of game that it is though so it's like we said with josh when he was on it, it's very strange to to knock a game because it nails its genre perfectly. Yeah. I think that's a strange thing. Like how we said, it's like saying FIFA is just a glorified soccer game yeah. or a football game, depending on where you are in the world. I don't like that. Uh, like this game does not deserve a two. That's for sure. I don't think, I don't, I can't think of a game that I've played recently. That was a two. <laughs> no, two is like basically unplayable. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like it, it works, but crashes every few frames kind of thing. Yeah. And then a one or a zero is basically the game doesn't even boot up. So two, <laughs> I mean, I, I love it for IGN and some of these publishers to explore the scale a little bit more and not just give tens and sevens. Yep. But uh, two is unfair for Banjo-Kazooie. It's a classic. It uh, always will be for us, obviously. And it's a classic enough, Mike, that it appeared in our favorite book, 1001 Video Games, You Must Play Before You Die. Do you happen to have uh, the book cracked open to the Banjo-Kazooie page? I do. I don't know if you could hear that that page rattling, but yes, uh, ASMR content yeah, right there. ASMR. <laughs> I do have it right here, and the book says the Nintendo 64 was the machine that saw Rare's last golden era, a time when it could pick a genre and make a masterpiece. Banjo Kazooie may have been its boldest effort, nothing less than an attempt to outshine Super Mario 64 on its own platform. It didn't, of course, but it did get closer than it had any right to. Banjo's a bear and Kazooie's a bird who lives in Banjo's backpack, and they've got to knock old witch Grunty uh, for six by collecting jigsaw pieces, as well as sorts of subsidiary items such as musical notes and mumbo tokens to aid them in their efforts. 
In size, it certainly rivals Mario's most famous 3D adventure and uses plenty of that game's ideas to, go to good effect, as well as throwing in a smattering of its own. The nine non-linear worlds are never short of ambition. There's the underwater Clanker's cavern, cavern, the sprawling mad monster mansion, and along with the usual fire and ice worlds, the levels are always huge affairs with intricate reworkings of their elements. In the hunt for Jiggies, the heroic duo, too, have plenty of surprising abilities that unfurl over the adventure's course. Banjo falls short of Super Mario 64 only in terms of imagination, which is no unforgivable sin, and remains a monument to the days when Rare almost single-handedly carried the N64's third-party offering. Yeah, they said it perfectly. It's funny that they compare it a lot to Mario 64, like we did. Yeah. Hard not to. It's that perfect uh, combination of Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64. And they're totally right about Rare being uh, the biggest supporter of the N64 back in the day. I'm actually looking at the top best-selling N64 games list right now. And of the top 10, Banjo-Kazooie is actually number 10, Mario at number 1. So I actually kind of like that, how they bookend all the best-selling yeah. N64 games. That's really cool. But of the top 10, you have 1, 2, 3, 4 of those 10 are Rare games. Wow. And then the other five are Nintendo, and uh, the 10th one is HAL being Smash Bros. So they really did dominate the uh, top best-selling N64 game uh, list for for one of my favorite consoles growing up, honestly. I know the N64 hasn't aged well, Mike. We know you don't like it. It's your least favorite console of all time. Uh, but I uh, <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, you want to bury it at the bottom of the ocean. No, but uh, it is cool to see that uh, Rare was supporting it, and uh, I love them so much. I would love to see them come back, too, but uh, nevertheless. I can't think of any console uh nintendo console since then that's even come close to that for developer numbers uh that's like like not nintendo being in the top 10 i mean now for the switch i'd argue the top 20 are probably nintendo yeah i think so i, I can't think of what even the next one would be maybe probably maybe DS. Fortnite or something uh, oh you're thinking of games now uh, yeah sorry <laughs> yeah not so okay i was thinking of consoles uh, <laughs> I, I mean we have the internet we could look this up i'm trying to i want to guess though this is fun what would it be the best selling so the number 23 is the the closest one that's not Jeez. a nintendo published or developed game wow and, and that is a monster hunter rise oh wow okay interesting so yeah, that's Capcom. that's one of those Capcom, gotta love Capcom. That's one of those franchises that I just never could get into. Not for not for me, unfortunately. But yeah, Banjo Kazooie sold 3.6 million copies. Mario 64 sold basically 12 million copies. So a big gap, but Banjo Kazooie far from a failure, mm -hmm. to say the least. Which is why, obviously, after listening to this uh, pretty meaty episode, I think it's probably this episode's probably gonna end up clocking in at two and a half hours once it's all said and done. Uh, Mike, do you uh, do you recommend the folks out there pick up Banjo Kazooie? And how do you recommend folks play the game today? I see. That's a good question at the end there. Yeah, because uh -huh. I definitely do recommend uh, playing Banjo Kazooie. I think it's a great game for all ages. I think everyone will love it. The one thing that we did talk with Quinn about a little bit is the camera controls. I think as long as you're okay with older games and have played some older games with those those kind of um, N64 style camera uh, controls, I think you'll be fine. If you haven't, it might take a little bit of time to adjust to it. Uh, because it is a little little different coming from uh, today's uh, era where you do have those two joysticks always available to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that does kind of take you out of it a little bit. But 
uh, if you're familiar with that, then it's you're going to just be able to pick it up and play it right away. And the fact that it is on the Nintendo Online um, uh, service is amazing. I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Matt, actually, recently, and we were lamenting that uh, because I told him that Fire Emblem, uh, the GBA game, had come out on the uh, online service. And he was upset that that we he can't just go and buy it, you know, like Virtual Console. And I said, yeah, that's that is really upsetting. Like I wish we could have Banjo, Banjo Tooie, uh, even Nuts and Bolts maybe as Virtual Console uh, games, because I think I would actually kind of rather just play it, uh, play it in that sense and just own the game uh, virtually. I don't really need the subscription service as much, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I think the best way to play it is what Josh said on this um, on a CRT TV. Uh, it just because that's what the way the developers were trying to make it. If you can't do that, then I think being able to play it handheld um, on the Switch is probably the best way nowadays. I, I was playing uh, during our uh, our episode a little bit too, Neil. Uh, it was like <laughs> just having it on. It, it's it, it's so nice to be able to just pick up and play banjo. Yeah, I love that. My I think my Nintendo Switch. I was playing it this morning too while I was eating eating breakfast playing banjo. I think I'm starting to get that Joy-Con drift because banjo is just heading forward without me doing anything. So ah. that's not great. But uh, I need to give some support though to once again Rare Replay. I uh, talked a little bit about it there at the beginning of the episode, but that's a really cool way to experience Rare games generally. It's got I think there's 30 games in that package and. It looks just like it does on uh, the Switch service. I think it's an exact. It's the exact same port, the HD upresed version of it, the Xbox 360 uh, Live, whatever it's called. I forget what Xbox does, but uh, the Rare Replay package there is really cool because I think it's the same version on Steam. But anyway, you can play the game. You can play Banjo Kazooie and Tui, and I think Nuts and Bolts are on there, so you can play the entire trilogy. And it also weaves in in the Rare Replay package. You've got some documentary and behind the scenes videos of the developers talking about the games. It really is this ultimate love letter to all of the rare games from the 80s through to the early 2000s. And I love stuff like that. A lot of those videos are on YouTube now too. So I highly recommend going to watch them. You can see some interviews with uh, Grant Kirkhope, who is a big, uh, he's a video game, the uh, soundtrack guy for uh, for the games and many uh, games after that, that we talked about with Quinn um, and Josh. And I, I love the, the pack just for that so Josh was right though playing the game on N64 does have that classic feel I love playing N64 games on a CRT TV on the N64 with the N64 controller it just feels like the exact experience that the game is supposed to be experienced through which is all of those things in the 90s not on these HD TVs with the dual joysticks and everything as nice as that is it is fun to also go back it's kind of like going back and watching a movie on VHS or something it just has Mm -hmm. that that charm of you know popping in a Star Wars VHS and pretending like you're back in 1983 Mm -hmm or something so yeah really there's no bad way to play banjo kazooie uh, honestly if you play it on n64 xbox or switch you're you're gonna have a good time i can almost guarantee it and that brings me to my next question mike is where do we see banjo going forward we uh rare teased banjo 3e a long time ago before microsoft bought them and they made nuts and bolts on xbox but since then, it's been fairly quiet. We had a handful of GBA titles. What do you think is going to be the next thing that Banjo-Kazooie comes out with? Well, I mean, we've talked about kind of what we want to see from Banjo for sure. But I think it, we can kind of bring the conversation now to head where it's what do we really think realistically is going mm-hmm. to happen to Banjo in the next five years, uh, we can say. So for me, this week is Banjo's 25th anniversary. 
by the way, Banjo turning 25. That's what we're doing this episode, of course. And uh, I'm kind of waiting for someone to say something, whether it's Rare, Microsoft, Nintendo, someone to be like, Banjo's 25. This is kind of a big deal that people are still talking about and loving this this character in this franchise 25 years later, despite having like an 11, what, 12 year gap between games at this point, if not more. Um, it, it's it's kind of sad to see, but also interesting that it's Banjo has been able to have the staying power so much so that he was able to be featured in uh, Smash Bros of all things. Like that was a pretty crazy move. So I think there's a chance that we do see something from Banjo coming to the Switch. I, I'm not going to say there's a new game, but I, I could see that Banjo gets uh, all the games on the Switch Online service at some point. I could see the Game Boy Advance games coming. I could see Tubi coming over. I could even possibly see Nuts and Bolts being released in some way for other consoles, um, maybe as a, a remake or remaster or a new one. I highly doubt we will get a Banjo 3. Uh, it's just not the same team. It's not the same vibe. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work even. And honestly, I don't think I would want a Banjo 3 at this point in its life. Just give me the old games. Give me something interesting, especially those GBA games, which I never played. Uh, I think that will be enough for a lot of people uh, until, you know, another five, 10 years later. What do you think? Yeah, I've been holding out hope since the Crash Bandicoot revival. Honestly, that we'd yeah. be getting a which was was what was that 2016 or 2017 at E3 when when uh, Crash was announced the trilogy the insane trilogy yeah that around there yeah feels like six or seven years ago now and and since then I was like well surely Banjo is next and then you know Spyro came out and that was all good and I was like surely Banjo is next and then <laughs> Knights got announced or whatever it was called and I was like well surely and then <laughs> Tie the Tasmanian Wretch and Clank well yeah that one never really went away but then there was Tie the Tasmanian Tiger and I was like. Okay, I mean, we must be getting close to Banjo. And then Bubsy was announced. KO the Kangaroo. KO the Kangaroo last year, which looked great. To, you know, And I was like, okay, we're really getting to the bottom of the barrel. And now today I learned that Croc is getting an HD remaster. And I didn't even know what the hell that was until Josh told me about it. And that just last week or two weeks ago got announced as getting... So, like, we are really really testing my patience here with a banjo remaster mike and i don't know how much how many more 3d platformers if glover gets a 3d remaster before banjo i swear to god i'm gonna lose it but honestly what i've what i've predicted six or seven years ago and i still am holding out hope for some weird reason is that banjo kazooie and tui will get that hd remaster it'll come out as a package i think they'll leave out nuts and bolts i don't think they're going to touch that game again but i'd love to see one and two get remade or remade i don't think a remaster makes any sense anymore i think it needs like a full remake make uh just to tighten up the controls um obviously the graphics and everything need reworking the camera needs refixing maybe adding a few quality of life things in there too like obviously the ability to save and the ability to uh travel around on the map and maybe adding a, a map to the game would be cool stuff like that i think the games could really use to uh just make them all the more enjoyable uh playing them 20 years later and then again what i said six or seven years ago i think a year or so after that uh that duology comes out i would love a banjo 3 to come out i i think that it could happen still i just don't think you can come out with banjo 3 with nothing after like a 20-year hiatus they they definitely can't do that they uh they have to come out with something to sell before they do banjo 3 because otherwise it'll make no sense yeah, there's no easy way to play banjo 1 and 2 unless you have 
Uh, it's not all on the Nintendo Switch service yet, but unless you have an Xbox One and you played them, but even then, they'd have to probably, they'd have to create the engine from the ground up. They'd have to put a team together since, mm-hmm. like you said, Rare are not the same as they used to be. All the guys that worked on the game back in the day have all uh, gone off and, and have started their own things and, uh, you know, to varying success with ukulele and whatnot. So that's what I would like to see. And my God, it's getting difficult to hold out hope for it. But I still think, honestly, that that is what is going to happen. And I hope that uh, maybe by the time this episode goes live, this is going to be out of date. But I really do hope that either Microsoft, Rare, or Nintendo do make some kind of a uh, an acknowledgement of Banjo's 25th and maybe an announcement of something. So this whole prediction that I'm making right now could be for nothing. Let's hope this is all for nothing and that they're going to release Banjo 3 and 4E uh, next year. Ooh, oh, I'm, that's that's too close. I'm flying too close to the sun. There's no way they're going to. Can you imagine if they like they like James Cameron it and come out like we've got five Banjo <laughs> games in the works. I would be honestly a little bit mad if that's what they came out with because it's like you've given us nothing for so long and now we got five of these things and a movie, of course. Uh, and a movie, Banjo-Kazooie featuring bottles. Featuring bottles, starring Chris Pratt, of course. But Mike, while I'm sitting here waiting for the Banjo-Kazooie starring Chris Pratt and Jack Black, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 18 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. On episode 18, Neil, we are talking about uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. This was a Patreon topic elected uh, by the great uh, patrons that we have over there. And um, Neil, I have played this game. I have put a ton of hours in this game. and I have some funny stories about playing this game because it was a little unorthodox on how I actually played it. But uh, you have not uh, played Vice City. And uh, I'm basically going to do a little pitch uh, to you on why uh, this uh, game is worth playing. I'm really looking forward to that. I think that that's a great idea. I have, I do know obviously a lot about Grand Theft Auto. It's hard not to, um, but for some reason the franchise never quite hooked me uh, the way that it did everybody else in 2013 when GTA V came out. And that's really my first experience with that game being a pop culture phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really cool. I'm, I'm happy that it was uh, elected. We've we have, Thank you to everyone on Patreon who submitted topics and voted, of course. So that's going to be a lot of fun next week talking to you about uh, a game. And I like that it's episode 18 because I think... If I'm not mistaken, the game is obviously rated M, which I think means you have to be 18 or older to play. So that was a funny coincidence Mm. that that happened. 18A, perfect. 18A, baby. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 17 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early and the option to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Mumbo Jumbo, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada, and hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters of the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Benito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pedro Marquez, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Jude, and Way Overrated. Uh-huh. Mumbo Jumbo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just love all the sounds. They're so oh. fun. They're great. They're so much fun. Like, you, and you can you can do it to anybody, and and most people will know what you're talking about. It's true. Quinn just messaged us saying good when uh, we <laughs> when asking her to come on. So that's how you know true banjo head right there. The new universal language is banjo. <laughs>